Hey listeners, I just wanted to give you a quick apology for our delayed releases lately. Delays even longer than usual. I've been understaffed at my day job and have had to work a lot of extra hours the past few weeks, so it's dramatically reduced my time for working on podcasts. Not to worry though, we're climbing out of that hole and life should be back to normal soon. But thanks for allowing us a little summer vacation breather. And as always, thanks for sticking with us. Welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We have a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday, and this is episode 153, and it is our Shark Attack Part 2 episode. On Horror Movie Podcast, you get in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases, with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City, and my co-hosts tonight are... Dave, Dr. Shock Becker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. Wolfman Josh and Jay, I'm going to make this thing bleed. <laughs> um, I, I had a comeback for that, but I'm like, nope, because people will use that if I say that joke. So <laughs> they're going to use it against me. I have never made this thing bleed. Okay, so guys, I'm so excited for this Shark Attack Part 2 episode. We actually have other episodes along these lines if people are just now joining us recently in case you want to catch up with earlier shark attack things that lead up to this one right josh yeah so yeah this is shark attack part two shark attack part one was about a year ago on episode 122 when we did a whole slew of shark week coverage we also talked about the films shark attack in the mediterranean mission of the shark the saga of the uss indianapolis blue water white death Shark Attack 3, Megalodon, Avalanche Sharks, Shark Knight 3D, Dark Tide, The Shallows, Open Water. And then it's also the episode we had uh, Keone Bothorpe on the show, and he shared his campfire tale about his real-life shark attack experience that's become renowned. So uh, definitely check that out. And then, mm-hmm. of course, no discussion of sharks would be complete without a discussion of Jaws. We covered that on Horror Movie Podcast episode 20, which was our horror on the 4th of July episode. And I recommend people check out both of those if they are interested in shark discussion. That's right. It was a good time. And, um, you know, in as much as we can find at least one worthy shark movie to cover, like we'll probably try this each year, right? And it'll it'll probably thin over the years, but you know, this is part two. So I think we got a good show tonight. We've got a great guest joining us later on. So I think people are going to dig this, right, Dave? Yeah, absolutely. And then I'm still trying to get my mind around that it was a year since we uh, did that last shark attack uh, episode. (laughs) My goodness. It doesn't seem that long ago. Yeah, that was, we'll at least get a part three out of this thing. At least. Oh, well, I actually, I'll tell you this. I'm pretty proud of this. I found this shark movie book (laughs) <laughs> and it had a, a ton of shark movies in it that I didn't even know about. And so oh, wow. I, I, I'm thinking we may have um, maybe maybe four or five years out of this, maybe. 
because <laughs> that oh. book is pretty sweet. So I was excited to find that little gem. But um, and speaking of summer stuff, I mean, we also have a summer vacation horror episode that was sponsored by Horror Movie Podcast. It is part yeah. of our Patreon feed. That was a blast, right? I, <laughs> yeah. Yes. I don't know. There's something just so much fun about the horror on vacation idea for me. And obviously there are even more films than we covered, but we, we each brought two picks to the table for a total of six kind of horror on holiday, summer vacation, horror movies. Mm-hmm. And I think we had a really fun discussion. So I hope people will become patrons and check that out. You can listen to that episode and actually every previous episode for the low price of $2 and 50 cents. Obviously you can donate more if you want and it's a monthly charge, but you can unsubscribe after your first payment as well. So as Jay said on the last episode, we're not trying to get rich off of this, but we're just trying to uh, make it possible for us to keep doing this for free. Yeah, and if um, and this is a, a shameless side plug to that, that Patreon feed, I think if we have some Christopher Nolan Dark Knight trilogy fans, there are some episodes coming up related to that trilogy that you won't want to miss if you're a fan, unless you hate our guts and don't want to listen to us and, <laughs> in which case then definitely miss it now dave um speaking of things that they just tune out now yeah exactly right, yeah, right. <laughs> and go to hell no i'm just kidding so i'm totally kidding you know there are gonna be people like jay that was inappropriate <laughs> let's get started with our shark talk and move into our feature review of deep blue sea in the most advanced research facility in the world wow Beneath its glassy surface, a world of gliding monsters. A team of specialists is working against the clock. Did someone order the fish? On an experiment to benefit mankind. Sharks never show any loss of brain activity as they age. We're this close to the reactivation of human brain cells. So real quick, guys, right up front, I just want to lament something. And I know this is completely inappropriate place to lament this, but for like... I don't know, six weeks, probably six full weeks, I've been trying to watch Deep Blue Sea 2, <laughs> and I have not been able to do it. And I am I am, I am, am suffering right now under utter shame. I had planned to fit that in for this episode so we can discuss this one and the brand new Deep Blue Sea 2, which came out here in 2018, and I did not get to it. So I will be punching myself in the face while Dave gives our premise to the first one from 1999 with with appropriate sound effects i'm sure right <laughs> all right uh yeah deep blue sea from 1999 um a scientist uh dr susan McAllister, played by saffron burrows is trying to find a cure for alzheimer's disease and uh what she's doing is she has this facility this um in the middle of the ocean where she has these sharks uh, because there's something in the, I guess it's the brain of the shark. Uh, there's this protein that uh, she believes that, you know, will assist uh, or will allow them to be able to uh, find a cure for Alzheimer's disease. Uh, she's going to the money people. She's asking for more funding. Uh, and uh, Samuel L. Jackson uh, plays Russell Franklin. He's the money man. And he decides to come out to this uh, facility uh, just to check it out and see if it if it's worth uh, you know continuing. Um, well, the sharks that they have there are pretty unique, and 
part of the reason is, is they've sort of bred them uh, in a certain way, not necessarily, you know, well, we'll get into that, but they've, they've bred them to, to make these almost like super sharks um, so that the protein would be even stronger uh, and they would get the results that they needed to get, um, you know, for curing Alzheimer's. They've got a whole group of people out there. They've got uh, this guy Carter, who who is the shark wrangler, I guess, and he keeps the sharks uh, in line. They've got a a scientist played by Stellan Skarsgård. Uh, They've got a cook played by LL Cool J. <laughs> uh, they got quite a, a cast of characters out on on this uh, facility. Um, well, unfortunately, while this is uh, you know while they're doing the testing, a huge storm is coming in. And so they're sort of battening down and they're getting ready for this huge storm. Well, they also find out pretty quickly that these sharks are even smarter than any of them realized. And before they know it, um, they're going up against uh, super predators. Mm -hmm. Yes, well said. Now, my first question for you guys, this came out in 1999. Do you feel like Deep Blue Sea was the first quote-unquote, fun shark movie. And I, by fun, I mean uh, of some degree of value and substance. The first fun one since the original Jaws, if you don't count Jaws 2. Jaws 2 is basically, um, you know, a rehash of the original Jaws, if you ask me. It's, mm -hmm. but, but do you guys feel like Deep Blue Sea was the first time they... they halfway got a shark movie right or not no, I don't, i'm trying to think of one i'm sure i'm trying to think of earlier ones that weren't jaws mm -hmm. shark um, alarm shark alarm no oh, there yeah. you go that one yes <laughs> the shark was uh, oh shark attack in the mediterranean yes shark alarm <laughs> shark alarm shark alarm <laughs> um that oh, one uh, that one was that one was funny for all the wrong reasons unfortunately right um but uh, yeah, Deep Blue Sea could be. I mean, this is 19 years now that we're going back that the, that this movie was released. So, oh, yeah. and there have been many of them after that. Uh, yes, you know, it it certainly borrows from the Jaws movies, you know, uh, mm -hmm. pretty liberally. But I will say it's it's one of the few shark movies actually of all time that really does stand out as its own thing. I think. Yeah. Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. there are, there are few, very few shark movies that really stand out as like, okay, this is a cut above the rest, you know? Right. I think yeah. this qualifies. Yeah, I mean, and, not and this and this is definitely a movie that you you can almost smell popcorn while you're watching this movie. <laughs> you know, it, it's definitely what what it's very entertaining in a, in a lot of respects. That's uh, I always found it anyway. That's an early um, sign of uh, early onset Alzheimer's, Dave. If is you can smell popcorn, okay. yeah. Like I'm just kidding, but no, I'm I'm with you guys. And in fact, let me just just in the opening sequence here. I mean, something that has always kind of impressed me about this. Um, you may or may not roll your eyes at the end of the the cold open, so to speak, but I, I will give it to this film. It's unexpected. I mean, you think you know for sure what's going to happen in that opening and oh, yeah. you're kind of surprised, you know, and, and I think that's cool. So like, you know, anytime you get, I like what you said, Josh, that this, this film kind of stands on its own. It's a little bit different. And even though as it, it does borrow from jaws, we get, we definitely see some Jurassic park influence in here. It is some, you know, it's, it's pretty interesting that way. 
And I, I think one yeah. of the, the, one of the cooler things is, is just what they've done with the sharks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the, the, and, and the people, uh, the, the scientists and, and, um, the, the people who work at this facility are constantly amazed at what these sharks are able to do. Like one moves backward at one point and sharks cannot move backwards. They can, they're perpetually moving forward. Mm-hmm. But one of these sharks has managed to do that and, and just how intelligent they are and, and the hunters that they are and how they're always sort of thinking ahead. I mean, were there actual sharks like this, um, <laughs> we'd be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, for me, I, there okay. There's a lot of like fun action elements to this film. There's a lot of interest. There's a lot of great set pieces. I do think it's super cheesy, and so yeah, I, I re- like this was a movie that I appreciated on second viewing. Like this is a movie that I saw the first time and was like that was awful. Really, then, you, you didn't then, like it initially. I hated it, and then I thought wow. about it, and I just kept laughing when I would think about sequences in the film i was like that's so funny how they did that like that's so ridiculous how they did that and then i became a big fan of this movie for about 10 years <laughs> you know and but then i didn't watch it again so i was really expecting to revisit this and say this is a movie that holds up and i will say i didn't really think so i, I mean hmm. that, again i do think that a lot of the action set pieces worked but what i thought was super distracting for me was the drama sequences. I felt like they were so poorly done. And, and I think I was just watching it with a little more maturity than I ever had before. And I just think, geez, like they really don't earn most of the emotion movie. I would say L cool J is maybe the one character where it's really earned, but I just did not think, you know, it, it worked on that level. I was, I was really kind of surprised because I had remembered enjoying it. But yeah, I mean, I think this is a kind of a definition of kind of like, as Dave said, it's like a very popcorn movie, dumb, good, dumb fun. And I, I attribute a lot of what goes right about this film to Walt Conti, because although I think a lot of the visual effects in the movie don't hold up by today's standards, um, the special effects absolutely do. And Walt Conti is the guy he he did visual effects for the abyss, you know the famous water sequence. He did uh, the stuff on inner space. He did the whale design for Star Trek IV: The Voyage Home. Um, he did the Willy and Free Willy. He did the Anaconda in Anaconda. He did stuff on Life Aquatic with Zisu. But he builds these real sharks in this movie that freaked me out. Like I the first scene. <laughs> When that shark is in the transportation sling, I was mm-hmm. just like, oh, real shark? Like, it, it totally scared me just today watching at home, having seen this probably three or four times already. Yeah. And I was like, holy crap, is that an actual shark? And it is the one of the most sophisticated animatronic sharks I've ever seen in my entire life. And there are some really cool sequences with those animatronic sharks. I think they really pulled that off. Unfortunately... <laughs> The CGI stuff was just like, oof, that was really yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, there was there was one scene that I I absolutely loved, um, and I don't want to go into it because it's a bit of a spoiler, but one scene I absolutely loved for years, and I watched it again today, and I'm like, ooh, yeah, the CGI is not uh, yeah. not too strong. There. It's one of the most famous scenes that you think of when you think of the film, right? Yeah. Right. Yes, just exactly. Think, 
this is one of those scenes that this movie just is famous for. And I just like, holy crap, that looked terrible. <laughs> so I'm glad you came. Yeah, I was getting yeah. nervous as you were describing that because I, I totally back you 100% on the animatronic sharks. Like, yeah, anytime the sharks are practically done, it works really well. But yeah, I mean, I after this many years, I'm hating I'm hating the CGI cartoonishness. And and part of it, I think, is how... And I know they're trying to make the, the sharks seem like super apex predators, but they move unnaturally fast. Yeah. And, and, and that lends to the cartoonish fakeness. And it's that. especially weird in the post-Jurassic like, Park era, too, because you would think... Like that movie for me, Jurassic Park still holds up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, yeah, you can see a little bit of the edges of it, but it looks real to me still. Like I'm like super impressed yeah. with Jurassic Park, which was several years earlier. So it's just it is weird that this looks so terrible. Yeah, that's true. Now, when you were describing, you and David both said said this is a popcorn movie. Uh, to me, this seems exactly exactly like the kind of movie. Like they should put this in the dictionary next to um, movies that you would rent from your video store back in, you know, when they were on VHS. Like this is exactly the kind of thing that I'd go in and rent. And and I mean, the quality of it, the tone, the feel, the look of it. I mean, it, it's just it's of that era. And I don't really know how to characterize it other than. It's just a perfect example of something you'd well, run on VHS. It, it's crazy because it's a so bad it's good movie, but with like a hundred million dollar budget. And so it's just <laughs> shocking. Yeah. Like when I was, I re, you know, there are a few times when this podcast has certainly impacted my marriage from just the time it takes us to mm. do it. But there's, but there's even been a couple of times where it's impacted just when she walks in the room and I'm watching something and she's just like, Really? This is how you're spending your life, like watching a movie like this. And and Deep Blue Sea was one of those times she walked in the room and there was just one of the worst dialogue scenes like ever committed to film. And she was just like, This is one of the worst written films I've ever seen. I'm like, I know it's crazy. And look at the set that they're in while they're having this conversation. Like millions and millions and millions of dollars were put in this. Hundreds and hundreds of people labored on this, and they didn't think like Maybe we spend an extra week on the script, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. Now, you say that, and I, I agree. I can't argue, but there are some one-liners that are incredible. Oh. Like, for example, um, oh, beneath its glassy surface, a world of gliding monsters. Now, you know that's decent. That's pretty good. It's mostly awful, dude. I, I mean, this <laughs> really is terrible in this movie. What, what about, what about, what about this? What you've done is taking God's oldest killing machine and gave it will and desire. What about that? What's not fair is that I didn't write down all of the bad lines, but I I experienced <laughs> them today, and they're so bad, dude. And it's funny because you had mentioned about LL Cool J, and and I thought he somehow made his work. They were not they were not great lines, uh, and you could tell, you know, that a lot of them were just sort of throw ins, like. The action, the action hero who's who's going to, um, you know, throw out a throw out a one liner every now and again. Um, now, Dave, but, Dave, yeah, I'm looking. Wait, what? wait, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you you have got to give credit where credit's due. What about what about his line, Bird, Bird? Come on, Bird, that's good stuff. 
Well, that wasn't the one I was thinking of specifically. <laughs> was when he was calling for his pet bird. Right. Um, I thought he had a few other lines in there. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm. Uh, yeah. You know. I think he. I think he did more than just call for his pet bird. Right. But. <laughs> um. Yeah. That's. I wouldn't say that's one of the strongest. The bird actually had some. <laughs> yes. Some interesting lines. That's true. Um, a, little, a little too uh, well. <laughs> anyway, we're getting off of it. Yeah, fat butt. You got a fat butt. That's that's one of the birds' lines. <laughs> well, Duncan Kennedy, who worked on this, also worked on Bait, which you know is a writer. Which I'm, I'm. That's I found that interesting. I'd like to, um, watch Ooh. that movie for part three, maybe, and yeah. talk about. It. You've you've mentioned it before on the show, but we've never done like a full review. And right. the other the other two guys, Wayne Powers and uh, Donna Powers. So I guess they, I guess not two guys. The other two folks who worked on the <laughs> that there they came back for Deep Blue Sea Part Two. So mm. uh, it's nice to know that some of the original writers are on this sequel. That's cool. And it's interesting. It would be interesting to see if uh, nineteen years later, if they've. <laughs> They still don't got it. <laughs> if they got it, or if they've if they've developed it, or they haven't. Speaking of, um, you know, having it, or if you got it, I do have to, I, you know, and I and I try not to be that guy, but it is a horror podcast, so I have to I have to compliment both Thomas Jane and um Saffron Burroughs for how yes. remarkable Saffron Burroughs. Yeah, I mean, they oh, look fantastic. In I'm, I'm a huge Saffron Burroughs fan, um, but you know she's mostly in like Mike Figgis indie films, so most people haven't seen her in, in much else. But um, but yeah, even my wife today when she watches, like she's gorgeous. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you should see Miss <laughs> Julie. Yeah, I mean it's like, and, and and Thomas Jane too. I found myself being being jealous of his physique, and I mean they just look fantastic in this. I'm film. not I'm not a Thomas Jane fan. I, I he bugs me, man. Here's the thing. What do you guys think about Rennie Harlan? Because I feel like, I, I guess here's the thing. I'm just not an action movie fan, mm-hmm. and I'm not a movie fan. But there's this pseudo drama that happens in these movies where they want to have these emotion, these big emotional scenes, and there's the swelling music, and like they just have not earned it at all. And I think Rennie Harlan, for me, is like the king of that kind of just bad action movie drama. Or you get someone like Jan de Bont, like, like he's also does these big dumb action movies, but Speed and Twister, these you know those movies earn their moments. You know, like right. a lot, a lot of a lot of Jan de Bont's films, he he earns those 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 moments. But you get something like with Rennie Harlan, you know, in and I know a lot of people who like action movies like these movies, but. Mm-hmm you know, cliffhanger and, and, and die hard too. And, and all those. And of course he's done horror films like nine on uh, nine at Merriman on street for the dream master. Um, but I just do not connect with that stuff. Now, you know, it's funny cause you mentioned die hard too, mm-hmm. and I'm a fan of die hard too, but when you compare it to die hard, as far as what you're talking about, like the more dramatic scenes, and I'm thinking in, in Die Hard of of um, the scene with um, with the cop and and uh, you know Bruce Willis talking to him on the on the radio and you know learning why the cop is is working this awful beat, um, and that's pretty dramatic. Yeah. But you don't get that same um, sort of 
level in Die Hard 2. At least I didn't think so. So you're right about that. Uh, and and uh, I mean, and Roland, I, Roland Emmerich's another guy. You know, I think Independence Day <laughs> is is excellent. But you get... It. You, but I think a lot of that you can attribute to like Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum and people like that. I think yes. if you look at his other stuff, which which even those have great f- actors, but like The Day After Tomorrow and Godzilla, like that stuff is just unwatchable almost. I you remember know? Um, when The Day After Tomorrow came out, um, who was that? It was Jake Gyllenhaal who's in that movie. Uh, mm-hmm. He wasn't going to be in it unless he could rewrite his dialogue. He wanted to rewrite <laughs> all of his own dialogue. <laughs> and funny. he wasn't you know he wasn't an established star at that point but they let him because he said the lines they were giving me were terrible yeah yeah (laughs) i just i don't know there's some i just hate the horror i hate the action movie version of drama it just Mm -hmm. does not it just does not work for me so when i'm really supposed to care about these characters in this film it's really hard for me to to get into it thomas jane is supposed to be the hero like it's weird. I thought Saffron Burroughs is the hero of the film, but then it turns out, oh, wait, Thomas Jane's the main character. Well, like that was confusing to me, you know, and it, it does play on things like it does some really brave things. Uh, you know, the scene that Dave was alluding to earlier and with the Samuel Jackson character and the Saffron Burroughs character, mm-hmm. the movie takes some chances. And I think that's interesting. Yeah. And there's some really great supporting cast in here. Like we haven't talked about, you know, Stone Skarsgård and Michael Rappaport are both are both great, but um, mm-hmm. man, like Jacqueline McKenzie's so bad in this. Like it's, I feel like I'm mm-hmm. watching a foreign film that's dubbed when she's in the scene. Oh, like I'm just like brutal. This, that's how it feels. It's like that awkward and clunky, you know, it just feels like, Oh, okay. Like this was, this was dubbed into English in this scene. <laughs> like it just feels so. Yeah. No, I, I, I get that, but I wanted to speak to what you were saying a minute ago about the, a dramatic scene in an action film. And I think that if we were to analyze why that happens, I mean, obviously we've said, and I think everybody knows that um, the action films that work best, the ones that are like truly action masterpieces um, are the ones that incorporate the action set pieces organically within the story where, where the action is actually telling part of the story. Now I think that because an action film is set up where the, the conflict is is fought is born out in front of our eyes through um, literal action. I'm not talking necessarily about um, you know <laughs> like explosions, but I am talking about movement. So we're right. used to conflicts being born out that way in action films. Whereas in a drama, something that is supposed to be a drama, like Howard's End, for example, like or something, or The House yeah. of Sand and Fog, like really great dramas like that. The, the conflict is born out in front of us through the dialogue and character development. And there just isn't that sort of um, character development. Action characters are archetypes. And so we're seeing conflict in an action way versus in a character and dialogue way. And I think that's yes. the reason it doesn't work. Uh-huh. Yes, but I think you can create an action sequence that creates character. Because I, I just saw a tweet about this from Robert Cargill today who... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, wrote uh, Sinister, yes, and Doctor Strange, um, and he used to be a writer for Ain't It Cool News. Um, he talked about how character is making is tr- making choices, right? So, from a screenwriting point of view, uh, you know, uh, choice creates character, 
And so if we think about that in terms of action, you know, like a, like a poorly written screenplay plot says, and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens and this happens. <laughs> Whereas like a, a, a maybe more sophisticated way of telling a story that's more interesting to a reader is this happens, but this happens. So this happens, but this happens. So this happens, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, and, and I think you can look at an action sequence, um, Similarly, these scenes with LL Cool J and they're funny and this happens and this happens and this happens and this happens. But if we can have this action sequence where the choices the character is making is reflecting who they are as a person. And we do get that in this movie. We get that with certainly the Thomas Jane character and the Saffron Burroughs character mm-hmm. where um, their their action choices reflect them as characters. Mm-hmm. Then you buy into that a little bit more. But I just felt like a lot of the characters in this movie... Um, Flat. well said i agree i agree with that yep. so um <laughs> well one other i was gonna ask you guys about just a couple of little things in this did you i mean obviously like the storm coming why is it that that in a sophisticated facility such as um, the island in Jurassic Park or or this Aquatica Center in this movie that a major storm is is so detrimental. It's like, um, how did they not plan for the weather? You know, I just think that's pretty interesting. Well, you know what I think well, is if, it's not really the weather that does them in in this case. It's the weather wasn't good and it didn't help matters. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, it wasn't the weather that actually... Well, again, I don't want to get too deep into spoilers here, yeah. but it wasn't the weather. The weather just it was, the weather was what the weather was and other th- other things. There were other uh, yeah. um, situations that were causing things to get out of control. None of it was actually weather related. You know, you know what I like about the weather stuff, Jay? Um, What's that? In, in, in the use of in both Jurassic Park and Deep Blue Sea is that, you know, we have these characters who are playing God you know, and they're toying with nature. And then we have nature Ooh. or God saying you're small and this is what's going to happen. I love, you, you know, we, you know, and yeah, that we see that cool. fallen kingdom as well. Right. At the beginning of that movie, the volcano starts blowing up and then, you know, all hell's breaking loose. I love the idea that, you know, these people who think they are, you know, have it all under control really are nothing against the force of nature. You know? Wow. That's pretty profound. That's pretty cool. Well done, yeah, Josh. <laughs> I like that a lot. What about this? Okay, so here's something that um, bugs me. So you, many horror films have this. They have the opening sequence, which is to get your attention and show you that, yes, there is danger and peril in this. Um, lives are threatened, but um, we're going to get to that eventually. You know, that's so many films, like uh, slasher films open that way. They might have an opening kill that's random, and then right. it leads in. So this takes... I clocked it this time. It takes like <laughs> it takes like thirty minutes. Yeah, it, it takes thirty minutes uh, for the the J stopwatch was pulled out. Exactly, and this bugs me. Thirty minutes to get to the first like well, it bugs shark us too, but we'll deal. We'll, we'll deal. <laughs> shark... <laughs> Touche. Well said. It's the shark jump scare, you know, eating the uh, biting pieces off of people. Like, I mean. Come on. It's a it's a good moment. You gotta admit. It is good, but I mean, it took thirty minutes to get there. It could have been twenty. 
And, I, you know, I, I first I should admit I did pull out my stopwatch during the Meg um, as well, but we'll we'll get to that later. But no, yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> the scene that they do really well was the one I was talking about earlier with the animatronic shark, where it's on it's on sling and then they lower into the water, and then Thomas Jane swimming with it. For me, that really kind of freaked me out. I yeah, mean, I thought that it looked so real. Yeah, it's not an opening kill like we get with a slasher, but I felt like there was a level of peril there that I could understand, especially you know. You know, she says to Samuel Jackson's character, "Now yeah, oh, those are the little ones." You know, <laughs> that's those are the little guys. Yeah, you know, we're gonna deal with the big guys here in a minute. Yeah, and speaking of the sharks, I mean, one thing I really appreciate. I mean, how many times have shark movies that's always a great white? Well, in this, we got Mako sharks, and I think that's cool. So yeah. I like well, Makos are so much faster than great whites. They're like three times as fast as a great white. So it's scarier, you know, mm-hmm. in, in that, in that way. Yeah, that's cool. And then, um, let's talk about the parrot here for a little bit, just, just for a minute. Like, um, and just for, just for people who don't know, actually go for it. Um, a Mako shark can go about 60 miles per hour at top speed, what? 60 miles per Per hour. Wow. You're can you imagine being me. attacked by something like that? I mean, and a great white can go up to 25. And so terrifying speeds um, to get something coming at you. But, you know, yeah. So Mako's, the reason they're so fast, I guess, evolutionarily speaking, would be because they're, they mainly hunt tuna. And tuna are super fast. And so they're chasing down tuna. But, yeah, terrifying to get attacked by something like a Mako. And then you put... You know, it's it's you know it really is. It's very similar to Jurassic Park. You give that something the hunting capability of a Velociraptor. Oh yeah. And then <laughs> right, right, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the equivalent of like, um, okay, you're on the Serengeti. Go survive against the cheetah. <laughs> like, good luck. Right. Yeah. Try to outrun <laughs> yeah, exactly. that. There's there's never gonna happen. Yeah. So so Dave, one thing that made me think of you as I revisited this, that instead of a, a cat jump scare scene, we get a parrot jump scare, which is pretty we hilarious. Parrot jump scare. We got a <laughs> parrot doing a cat jump scare. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, no, that is reason to note and remember this film. I, so that's cool. And um, if we're going to refer to Dr. Walking Dead's rule, right, this is a serious horror film, mm-hmm. whereas the Meg, not so much serious <laughs> right i mean that's that's kind of interesting to me like yeah you know um there is a lot yeah. and i mean a lot of of flashing lights and explosions and um stuff in this and i know it's an action movie but still it's kind of like <laughs> all right well I, we we get it you know I, I i just felt like it was like overboard or something but anyways well uh, yeah i i would agree I I, th- I agree with you. There there definitely was uh, even a lot more than I remembered right. there being. All right. Well, um, I think we're ready to rate this. If, if you guys are, I am at least. And um, I'll just go first. I'm going to say Deep Blue Sea from 1999. That was a great year for me. I just want to put it out there. So I, I do have a, a <laughs> soft spot for 1999. And, um, you know, when I see movies from that time period, you know, maybe I'm a little gentler, but, uh, upon revisiting, I give this a seven out of 10. I call it a rental. I think it's worth seeing. And right now it's streaming on Netflix. Watch instantly. So go for it. What do you say? Dr. Shock? Actually, I'm, I'm there with you. I'd say seven out of 10. Um, 
it's one of the ones it's a cliche but you know check your brain at the door uh but mm, it's the, even if you check your brain at the door some of the dialogue is still gonna hit you kind of funny um but it it's it, it has enough comedy it has enough uh not enough comedy it has enough action it has enough uh going for it i think um you know to definitely make it worthwhile so is this like a rental or stream it a or rental what? yes a, a okay. stream a rental yeah definitely okay got it all right wolfman josh um i did not like this movie as much as you guys i wanted to to <laughs> To say that it holds up, I don't think it does. I I was pretty disappointed with my rewatch. Um, I you know I think this is a, a must see film if you're an action horror fan, if you're a shark movie fan, uh, you're going to enjoy seeing this. You should at least see it once, absolutely. Um, but my general recommendation, I, I'm going to call this a five point five, and <laughs> I'm going to call it a low priority rental. <laughs> Okay. All right. I, it was almost an avoid, to be honest with you. Really? But, okay. But but I think there's enough there with these set pieces. There's just some really interesting sequences and the practical effects portion of it is so good. And if I'm if I'm charitable to the visual effects and say, well, it was a different era. They were doing something kind of cutting edge at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you know, and it was this is in the era when they're making movies like The Postman and Waterworld. Like, you know, it, they it seems so foreign to our movie going experience nowadays. But yeah. back then, this was not a super weird movie to get made. Um, you know, I can say, you know what, it, it has its place, and it is one of the more standout shark films and action horror films. So uh, definitely check it out. But for me, it's not one that I would like rush out to see unless. You're a huge like Megalodon versus Octopus Shark movie fan. Or whatever. <laughs> You're gonna love this if you like those, you know. Oh yeah, those type yeah. of films. That's You're gonna love for sure. But if, if you don't like action movies in the way that I don't, you're gonna struggle with it. So our our buddy Vicious Victor left um, a comment in the show notes for episode 152, which all of you can do as well at uh, horrormoviepodcast.com, and and he said in there that he loves. Deep Blue Sea. He gives it an eight point five out of ten. So, and I have a feeling there are going to be some people who are huge fans of this, Josh. If so. you if you had asked me before I rewatched it, I would have said, "Oh, I bet it's like an eight or a nine. Yeah, right. That's my <laughs> recollection of it. Is just like a big dumb fun popcorn, so bad it's good kind of movie. But man, it just did not work for me this time. All right, let's get down to business then. At this point in episode 153 of Horror Movie Podcast, let's welcome longtime listener and special guest, the mad cytologist, who happens to be a paleontologist who has a paper coming out soon that he wrote on the Megalodon. Welcome, sir. Uh, glad to be here. So for listeners who aren't, I, I know they're familiar with you from the message boards. You're very active in our community, but um, could you teach them a little bit about what a uh, cytologist does? So cetology is the uh, basically the study of whales. And so I'm a marine mammal biologist and paleontologist, and I work on the evolution of different whales and seals and all those fun critters. Uh, my research in particular focuses on the evolution of these animals. So it incorporates a lot of information, too, from the fossil record, um, which, of course, uh, gets me some familiarity with some of the other critters that were swimming around during the time period um, that uh, the uh, um, shark of uh, 
interest. Ooh. In, so. Okay. All right. And, and just the, and this is a little bit off topic. And so forgive me, but like, um, for example, in Jurassic World, the, the Mosasaur, the, do you do much studying of Mosasauruses or anything? Um, they, someday I want to expand into them. Um, I haven't, I, I have definitely been to, I definitely seen talks. I know some of the people involved in them. Mm hmm. Um, but it's something I'm hoping to expand into someday. I mean, as a, I, I know generally, you know, quite a bit about them, um, but they're not my major research area, more of just the, the general, you know, knowing the field rather than gotcha. spending a lot of time playing with uh, Mosasaurus skulls. Or, I mean, the same thing goes pretty much for, um, I'm also a paleontologist, you know, by training. So I know, um, you know, a fair bit about uh, the animals of Jurassic Park and, I can probably give you quite a few uh, um, interesting stories about some of the reactions, uh, <laughs> some of the recent movies from people in my field. So, Ooh. <laughs> well, maybe we should do a special features episode on the Jurassic Park films. That would be a lot of fun. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen Jurassic Shark is my question for you. <laughs> so, so in the run up to Meg, I basically like, I've been trying to do movie themes, like where I just will read what, watch a bunch of movies um so i haven't i haven't seen jurassic shark but i've seen so many shark movies this month yeah me too <laughs> so many of them were not that good oh man mm -hmm. so yep. uh yeah and unfortunately uh, and then and several of them did feature megalodon um and were <laughs> definitely <laughs> Like they had Megalodon. That's about all you can see about it. <laughs> so you're telling me you've seen Shark Attack 3 Megalodon. I've seen Shark Attack 3 in multiple occasions. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> that, is, that is a movie that um, I've seen um, with some of my paleo folks. Yes. In front of, mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, it's also also extra amusing to watch if you're a general genre nerd since, you know, the major, the main actor in that, uh, is, you know, John Barrowman who later went on to do Dr. Who and Torchwood and, you know, mm -hmm. so seeing him in this movie and then just the horrible special effects is just, it's very entertaining. Yeah. And the dialogue's pretty bad. I love, I love exposing people to that film who, who aren't familiar with it and just showing it to them. I, I think yeah, it was, I've, played that one the one quote right <laughs> i've shown that youtube clip a few times to people oh it's just and, and um shout out the cake wolf i think uh i believe in oh if i get this wrong guys i'm gonna be in so much trouble but i believe it was uh cake wolf who made it possible for me to have a vhs of shark attack 3 megalodon and um it's, it's very very much a treasure to always cherish you know it <laughs> so anyways well, thanks for being here. Um, you have proven your credentials over and over again. Just the fact that you've seen Shark Attack Three Megalodon. So, I, I feel like we're, we're we're ready to do this now. Um, hey, Wolfman Josh, do you think we should have some sort of setting the table about megalodons from the Mad Cetologist, or what do you think is an, a fun way to proceed since we have an expert oh, on the show? Yeah, absolutely. If you don't mind, I think that would be great to get it from the mm -hmm. yeah, yeah um, teach us teach us i mean so the megalodon has been of um recent interest um largely because uh it's a lot it's a, it's a lot different from say the mosasaurus in jurassic world because you know the air tyrannosaurus or 
any of these other prehistoric animals. Those died out 65 million years ago. You know, there was absolutely no chance of any of those things overlapping with early humans. But um, Megalodon is a lot different in that it went extinct only fairly recently from a geological standpoint. So around um, 3.6 million years, that's actually the paper that I contributed to the analyses for. That's where we are pinging the age of extinction. Mm. And because it's been so recent, and it's also such a common fossil, um, it's mostly just known from teeth. And you can very easily find these teeth if you go to the right places in Florida, Carolinas, what have you. Um, So Megalodon itself um, is fairly recent, and it is possibly one of the largest fish to ever live. Um, There's a few things that are probably beating it size-wise. And, of course, it's definitely the largest known um, shark. (laughs) Um, And it belongs to a group that are called the uh, Megatooth Sharks. Um, So they've been sort of, there's been a lot of recent reclassification, and people are still debating, like, um, they're kind of only distantly related to the Great White Shark. Um, There's sort of this ancient lineage that dominated the oceans um, basically after the dinosaurs went extinct until around, like I said, 3.6 million years ago. And we still don't completely know the factors involved with their extinction. Mm. Um, These sharks, um, generally speaking, uh, likely they went extinct because they got just as we got the buildup of the glaciers, climate cooled. And there's some evidence to suggest these were probably warm water animals. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, we know for sure um, these animals, which I think the estimates generally put them around between 35 to 60 feet long. Wow. Um, these wow. were animals that we know for sure were feeding on big marine mammals. We actually have um, whale vertebrae with the tooth marks uh, from these type of sharks in there. Oh, neat. So we know they were eating these things. and. Somewhat speculative, but my favorite hypothesis is that, you know, as the climate cooled, whales started uh, going and hanging out in Alaska and other, you know, cold water environments where they had lots of food to eat and everything. And so, you know, half the year they're spending there and they're still doing that today. So you can imagine if you're a 60 foot shark and your major food source decides to uh, basically move out of your neighborhood for half the year, what's that what that's going to do to your population? Right. And they can't follow them because, as you said, they're they're probably warm water animals, right? Yeah. Okay. And at the same time, you had some some other sharks coming into pop coming becoming common that were competing with them probably for these resources like the great white Um I know people often refer to sharks as these living fossils, but great whites actually are fairly recent. They only, they show up around the time Megalodon is going extinct. Really? I, for some reason, yeah, I've heard people say that great whites are older than the dinosaurs, you know? Um, no, no, there's, yeah, they're, they're basically as old as, I mean, technically the great apes are older. Hmm, interesting. Um, <laughs> Wow. Sharks in general go back before the dinosaurs, but you know, that's saying that sharks go back is kind of like saying, you know, reptiles, which is a very <laughs> right. huge <laughs> number of species. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Um, I think also the big draw for Megalodon is it's kind of there's always been this interest and wonder if they're still around. Mm-hmm. And so um, you know, there are these anecdotal are, are they? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> probably no 
Um, the argument that some people have made is that they uh, became adapted to deep water habitats, like in this movie we're about to talk about. Yeah. Um, but there's some reasons to suspect that's probably not true. Uh, what if I was to tell you there's a pocket of warm water at the bottom of the ocean? Yeah, unless there's, like, <laughs> unless there's a lost land. Um, right. Uh, you talk, I mean, uh, you, do you guys know though? Those these are based on books, right? There's like a eight books right. in the series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It goes it, that lost underwater ocean gets kind of ridiculous and what's in there, but uh, <laughs> um, there's some anecdotal reports people have had of unusual sharks. Um, so I was actually looking at that before the show, and um, uh, there's a famous um, Western author Zane Gray um, who has several reports of when he was fishing off in the you know Indian Ocean encountering these forty foot sharks, which to me, he sounds just like whale sharks, but he was sure they weren't. And there's this really spooky story from Australia of these uh, fishermen that um, there was some 120-foot-long albino shark raiding the lobster pots in this one part that these divers had seen or whatever, which is all anecdotal and, you know, yeah, 120 uh, is kind of ridiculously <laughs> sized for anything. <laughs> Right. Uh, so yeah, there's all these little weird things, and then you know it doesn't help. The Discovery Channel has made several fake documentaries that people think are real, right? Mm. Um, which I my my undergrad advisor actually spent quite a bit of time working on Megalodon, um, and uh, I was I was in New Zealand with him when this documentary, the, the last big one, came out, and. Uh, Megalodon, the monster a, shark lives. <laughs> yeah, I think there was a lot of head shaking, and I, they yeah. were sort of him and this other person, one of the co-authors of my paper, uh, um, uh, one of the people I'm co-author on, Robert Bosnecker, who does a lot of really cool whale stuff on Charleston. Uh, they were just kind of going back and forth, and yeah, Discovery Channel has kind of been annoying a lot of scientists of late by them sort of mixing in these fictional documentaries with the real stuff. Mm. Yeah. So that's sort of like a rough, like, um, I guess, primer on Megalodon. So it that's is a real great, That's great stuff. I, I hope at the end of the review, then you'll come back and tell us what they got right and what they got wrong. That would be uh, yeah. of interest to me. Totally. Yeah. That's a great setup. Uh, Dave, do you have any questions for the mad cytologist about Megalodons before we move into our review? No, I, I those very interesting and thanks for sharing that but uh mm -hmm. interested to see what he says about this movie yeah seriously okay well i hope uh, I which i didn't get a chance to see so i'm kind of waiting to hear uh the, <laughs> the reaction of everybody okay well we're Don't gonna worry, we will be spoiler free dave that's right i i i always trust that to be the case <laughs> and we're and we're gonna have some fun here and so uh let's uh take this opportunity to move into our feature review of the Meg from 2018. What you people discovered is bigger than we ever thought possible. How big is that thing? It was the largest shark that ever existed. A living fossil. Thought to have been extinct for over two million years. Wrong. Okay, uh, mad cytologist, would you like to do the honors of giving us the premise? So uh, we have a uh, this deep sea station, and they are exploring uh, this hidden sort of realm that's underneath this sort of methane layer that no one had realized existed. And in exploring that, 
um, this sort of lost marine world, uh, a uh, submarine gets sort of damaged and is trapped down there. And so they have to go seek the aid of uh, Jason Satham, um, who's pretty much playing Jason Satham, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> who is a, uh experienced deep-sea um, recovery expert who hasn't been doing really any sort of, mostly just been drinking away his life in uh, Thailand um, after he basically... Um, encountered what he thought was some sort of sea monster on a dive that ended up costing the lives of his uh, uh, several partners. Dave, Dave had a 10 year spell like that in Thailand during the nineties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it was, Who hasn't? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Especially during the nineties. If you're a horror fan, <laughs> right. I mean, right, right. you always have a beer in your hand. That, that's right. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, so yeah, he's brought in, and they find out that um, spoiler alert: there's uh, megalodons in this sort of <laughs> lost world. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, I like your lost world reference there. That's nice. This thing. So, so just talking about that is that would it be possible for there to be this um, deeper, lower layer, as the premise there suggests, or is um, is that BS? I th- it's BS, but it's sort of like one of these things where I'm like, as a viewer, I'd sort of allowable via BS. Okay. Because I mean, there's a whole genre of like lost world films with the whole predicate idea that there's a remote valley, a remote plateau, someplace where prehistoric critters can hang out and your explorers can happen upon them. Neat. Um, so this is sort of an underwater version of that, which I think is kind of cool. And um, in this book, they don't really see – actually, the, the valley itself looks – the stuff they find down in this cavern is pretty cool, but kind of typical deep-sea stuff. But the books go into detail on all the things that are down there and um, besides the Megalodon. And it's actually kind of cool, that element. Completely ridiculous, like, in mm-hmm. a B-movie way. But, yeah, I mean, the idea of this sort of underwater lost world is <laughs> pretty much – not really yeah you wouldn't there there's definitely these odd things like um um, these thermal vent communities which are bizarre and weird but they're not housing Mm -hmm. you know 60 plus foot long giant sharks (laughs) so and i hope my co-hosts here will forgive me but um because we usually don't put guests on the spot but mazitologists this is a (laughs) since you're here i gotta know okay tell us about nessie is nessie real is Nessie, what do you think? Is- no, unfortunately, I think Nessie is a combination of um, dang it, a hoax <laughs> with people misidentifying everything from ducks to otters to stray seals. Oh, okay. There are records mm. of seals getting in there from the river, mm. uh, gray seals. Um, Jay, Jay also has questions about chemtrails for you later. So. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I grew I grew up like um, what led me into horror was Love of Monsters. And so I grew up reading about Bigfoot and Nessie and Mokilo Mbembe, all those totally. things. Like, I'm loving um, this. So I, I wish there was. And I wouldn't surprise me if there are some other large lake things. Okay. Yeah. Probably not Nessie. <laughs> Have you ever seen that show River Monsters? It's shocking to me. <laughs> yeah, I love that show. It's like it's like crazy. It's like Bigfoot Hunter, only they actually catch things. Yeah, like they catch something every episode. <laughs> yeah, some of those animals I wasn't even really aware of, but they yeah, are I mean, terrifying. Wow. Yeah, watch out. Be careful in the river, folks. So yeah, <laughs> exactly. Okay, so um, 
So in in terms of <laughs> what you were expecting from this film, I mean, uh, let, let's let's see what Josh Josh what what did you think of the Meg? I mean, was this did it deliver on its? Because obviously this is a big dumb summer movie. Well, you know, I was hoping honestly, you know, and I've heard a lot of people who enjoyed it describe it as a as kind of dumb fun. And I was just hoping it would be more dumb and more fun, I guess. I think the trailer shows us kind of the goofiest moments that to me were reminiscent of like a Sharknado or probably more closely to Piranha or something like that. And so I was really going in hoping for that's kind of what, you know, the remakes particularly, I thought that's kind of the movie I'm going to see. And I was kind of prepped for that. And I wanted to have a good time. This is a movie that manages to bring together the dynamic forces of the screenwriter of paycheck and the screenwriter of battleship (laughs) and get them working together on one movie and uh, have it directed by the man who brought us uh, the national treasure movies. And so, I mean, you know, it's a pedigree alone. You have to be excited about that. Right. But no, so I, I was, I guess I was hoping to be just a little bit more fun. And I think, I don't love action movies and I think action horror is probably my least favorite subtype of horror. I think I'm I'm kind of with action horror the way you are with horror comedy, Jay. Mm-hmm. Like it just there's something about the tone that just rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. And so um I know why, by the way. I bet you I know why that is. Oh, I'm interested to hear your I, theory. I, I really think that it has to do with that whole um in horror you have victims. But in mm. action horror the victims are more empowered. And, and, and I think that takes away some of the teeth, some of the battle out. Of, yeah. I mean, that whole battle aspect is. And I, and I think, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know that it's quite as clear cut as that, but I think you're onto something because I think the heroic stance of the action movie hero is different than the heroic stance of say a final girl. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they're just not very interesting characters. They're very thinly drawn characters for the most part in action movies. Right. And of yeah. course we talked about this a little bit with deep blue sea, but I think, you know, in this film, there's a certain tone to action horror and, or to action movies, I should say in general. And, and I can deal with bad acting in horror movies. Um, but it bothers me more for some reason in action movies because they're trying to be really high stakes, dramatic, and there's the swelling music and I'm just not really believing those character arcs and things like that. You know, mm-hmm. I, I never bought into uh, the kind of love interest story here that was going on with um, the Sue Yin character and Jason Statham's Jonas character. I, they're, they're kind of uh, interesting to me in any way. Just a lot of those character interactions fall flat. I will say the, the supporting cast of this movie is excellent. So if there's one thing I really love about a big, dumb, uh, you know, blockbuster action film is that it gives cool actors the chance to make a paycheck. And so I love seeing Rain Wilson and Cliff Curtis mm-hmm. and Masi Oka and all of these guys, you know, get paid to be in a big budget film. The guy who played the wall, he's kind of like the Simpsons comic book store guy. Uh, mm-hmm. character mm-hmm. he's kind of the, he's very reminiscent of the Philip Seymour Hoffman character in Twister I loved him I thought he was great yes and um, I, I just thought most of that supporting cast was was really good but I Jason Statham does what he does but I just I don't know I was not 
I was bored for the first hour. And then around the first hour, there starts to be kind of the first fun scene that I was expecting where it's kind of like almost like a water skiing kind of scene Mm -hmm. starts happening. I was like, okay, this is fun. And then there's some scenes where someone dives over deck and somebody else is like, hell yeah. And I was like, yeah, this is what I want. This kind of stuff. And I'm totally with you. There's a crazy big finale at the end. I thought that was exactly. That's what I thought I was walking into was kind of that big final beach scene. I thought the whole movie was going to be more like that. So um, yeah, when it was doing the fun stuff, I thought it was fun. I felt when it was trying to do drama, Mm -hmm. I was really not connecting with it. And I didn't really feel many of the scares. Um, I've talked to a couple of people who saw this in IMAX 3D, and they said that all of the underwater stuff was super effective in 3D, which I can imagine um, that being the case. But for me, yeah, there was only there's one jump scare that kind of got me. And other than that, I was never really feeling much terror or anything in this movie. So yeah, um, yeah, that's that's kind of my general take on. It. I did in generally enjoy it, but I would say I was mostly bored in the. I completely agree because like I think the biggest problem about this film is the first 30 to 40 minutes you have the same type of sequence twice. I mean it's it's a rescue and for some reason they show us a rescue twice in a row, a deep water, a deep sea rescue and I'm like, "Well, why are we seeing this again?" And and that was like very very boring to me to the point that I was I mean it was the middle of a hot summer day and and <laughs> And I was wide awake when I walked in there and I was getting drowsy <laughs> during the first 40 minutes and I never expected to be drowsy during the Meg. But yeah, what, once the action kicked in and you had the Megalodon go to the surface and start, you know, then it got fun. But I was shocked. What What about you, Mad Cytologist? How did you feel about it? Like, were you entertained? I, well, I mean, I went in and I've been telling, I told people, what I just want to go there to see Jason Statham punch a shark. Right. <laughs> that was what I went in expecting. And then <laughs> kind of, yeah, it was just like, I don't know if I'd say it took itself too seriously, but I felt like mm-hmm. it kind of chose the least interesting like way of doing everything, especially yeah. in the last half of the movie. There were so many scenes that were set up like, oh, God, it's going to be good. And then it's like, oh, oh, nothing happened. Right. Um, <laughs> and. I actually didn't mind so much the beginning part, but it was weird in that I felt it was like two movies. Like there was a movie that was in the underwater base, and then there was a movie when they were on the surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they were both different movies that didn't yeah. feel like they gelled together well. Like I felt the flow of the first half was a little better, whereas the second mm-hmm. half was more disjointed. But it was also giving yeah. me some, at least a little bit of the things I was expecting. Yeah, and, so, and- yeah. And yeah, you- I, do, I think that first half was just kind of a lot of that pseudo drama, you mm-hmm. know, and that's kind of the weird thing about it. I totally. Guess. But I, I agree with you. I, the setting was fun and the notion of what they were doing was interesting and it had my attention, but it just felt like it didn't really go anywhere, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know, a couple of things about this, like um, the slash film cast is a podcast that I really like. And, and I, and I feel like they nailed it when they said um, that, in this film, it's weird because you have a lot of promises from the trailer that like, um, you know, it, it appears from the trailer that there are going to be these scenes where this giant shark mouth like 
takes in a ton of people in the water. I yeah. mean, we, we see that in the marketing material. And, yeah. and like a lot of these promises, the things that you expect, these money shots, they're really not in there. I mean, there's a big let, I mean, several letdowns actually where like, like you guys have been saying, you expect it to go farther or, or do something. You're like, oh, here it comes. They're going to bring it finally. And then, and then they don't. And I was like very disappointed in that. Well, I was here. I heard something that apparently they had, the director had a bunch of like, kind of like gory scenes in mind. Even Jason Statham had signed on for this to be a more violent movie, but the studios kind of like pulled back on a lot of those. Some of this stuff was like, I think even shot. Yeah. Maybe that, you know, in a, you know, unrated DVD or whatever the DVD might have some of those scenes, but it kind of led to me. Like, I felt like this was a movie almost that was designed by a committee. Just like they were trying to get different groups and trying to get that Chinese Chinese release because they were a Chinese co-production, but China yeah. doesn't like our movies. So right, yeah, there were a couple articles that came out about both Jason Statham and John Turtletob saying this is not the movie they set out. To. Um, Turtletob said, "Yeah, just that this is not the movie I set out to make," and then Statham said, "This is a very different from the script that I signed on to." So. Uh, yeah, I guess that there must have been some pretty heavy changes on the back end, which is a shame. Mm-hmm. I agree. And, but I will say, just to put it out there, I mean, this is rated PG-13, and I was in St. George when this came out. We were kind of on a little family vacation. I had my crew with me, and I would not have gotten to see this, but then when we were reading up on it, my wife and I, I have a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old, and we're like, okay, we can take them. And I really think that this is what you would call a family friendly horror movie. And and when I say horror, I mean, <laughs> you know, very light, but, but it is. Did it scare the living crap out of your kids though? No, no, actually. I mean, my daughter who's seven, uh, there are a couple times she hid her eyes, you know, but she wasn't traumatized at all. You know, like it, it was not a big deal. My, my son who's 10 had a blast. And so I, I was, I guess on that level, it was really fun to be on vacation and we were kind of on a swimming type vacation and it was, you know, in that way it worked well as a, as a family, like entertainment, like a summer movie, even my wife who doesn't like horror, even she kind of dug it. And so that was good. And, and I, I, I guess I would put out there in defense of this film. If you, if you do have kids and you want to show them kind of, you know, we, we've talked in our other, our previous episode, about giving horror primer films for kids to get them into the genre. And I think this is one of those gateway type of movies. I wouldn't show this to my kids, but that's because I want my kids to spend time in the ocean. So, Oh, okay. (laughs) Right. Right. But yeah, it also has this kind of awkward thing. Like you mentioned this just now, the, um, the Chinese co-production, it's an interesting factor to the film because, uh, you know, it's it it's set off the coast of China for for much of the film. It's got these chi- big Chinese actors in it. Li Bingbing is in it, and she's like a big star in China. So it's it, it's it's interesting because it is kind of playing like the dual lead between her and Jason Statham, like you know, and um, it, you can definitely tell it's playing to both audiences. I think uh, absolutely, I agree with that hundred percent. In fact, um, and and I always I, I worry that I didn't say this carefully enough in on movie podcast weekly because I, I don't have any problems with, you know, films that are, you know, 
friendly to China. Of course, I, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I did feel a lot of pandering to the Chinese. I don't know if it's Chinese government, whoever permits the films, American right. films to be shown there. I felt I, I, I really picked up. It was almost distracting how much pandering I perceived. And even when we left the theater, my wife was like, wow, there was a lot of like, um, you know, a lot of nods and things to China in that movie, you know, and I'm like, well, because they want to sell it in China in a big way. You know, they want to yeah. be accepted in there. And I don't know. I, how do you guys feel about that? Do you feel like that's problematic or not? Um, I actually, well, I kind of like the fact that like the um, so, well, you know, a big part of the climax takes place on that beach resort. And it's a Chinese beach resort. So I thought that was well, kind of like, yeah. wasn't you know, that in like, Thailand or was that? Also in China. I don't know. I think that was supposed to be China. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because he, he was found in Thailand. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, okay. So, I mean, it's kind of nice because, you know, it's not only, you know, monsters can eat people in other places of the world. They, it doesn't always yeah. have to be an American beach. So I thought that was kind of nice. Right. Yeah. And I thought some of the other stuff, like my one of my problems was with the actor who played um, the father mm. of um, Winston Chow. Lead. Yeah. I felt like some of his, some of the, some of the stuff, some of his line deliveries just seemed extra wooden in English. Mm-hmm. Or I, I don't know if that's the writing or what, but there was almost, there were some, not necessarily marking maybe the Chinese, but it was almost like a few lines where it almost feels like he's like looking at the audience and making a statement. Like when he, yeah. so I don't know. That was the only, so that was the one distracting thing I noticed. Well, that, that happens, I think, a lot in because I, I love foreign films, but then you see an actor like Penelope Cruz is, is pretty good in Spanish language films. And then she's like awful in, in English language films. And I think that that does happen sometimes. I think it's just hard to deliver, you know, in mm. your second language. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, like, I couldn't do any of that, any of that yeah. stuff in Chinese, so. Right. I don't even have a second language. So no, that but, happens. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm not, I don't mind. Yeah. I, th- I think what the metastologist said, that's that's excellent. Yeah, of course that, you know, I, I am fine with representation obviously. And I'm fine with yes. seeing animals attack people in other parts of the world. What's weird or what I, what I worry about is just because of the marketplace of China being this big a factor in, in films going forward because of the yes. censorship that goes on in China Agreed. because of kind of like some of the weirder cultural stuff that's going on there currently and how, and, and so if art is being shifted just to, gain entrance to their audience that's a little bit upsetting as a fan of the arts you, you know said I mean? that like a hundred times better than i've said it on both podcasts so thank you that's exactly what <laughs> I, that's what i yeah, wanted to I, say thank you i am in complete agreement like i don't think this needed to be anywhere near as gory as say like piranha 3d or anything because i mean right. it's not so big it just swallows you whole anyway but it <laughs> did feel like it just didn't go as far as it could have I can't help but feel that some of that was because, you know, they had to, without, they needed to release this in China because it was a Chinese co-production and because, of, you know, some of their plans on making money off this film required that so much that it just sort of neutered the movie somewhat. Mm-hmm. I, I, having said that, we've talked a lot about its problems. Um, I love, my favorite stuff in this film are the overhead shots where you see the size of this thing as compared to people and boats. Yeah. That's the most exciting stuff in the movie, I think, because you really, and then there are a couple underwater shots when we first see it as well. Like when they're on the, is it the mono one? Is that what it's called? They're like, there's their station. 
Um, I, when you, when you first encounter this thing, you're just like, yeah, that's huge. That's, that's the most fun stuff for me. I love that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The, some of the overhead shots were amazing. It has like a Moby Dick quality to it where you're like, wow, well, that's impressive. Well, how did you guys feel about, um, the the humor aspects because we were expecting i mean if if a, a shark film is called the meg right like i mean if they wanted to be more ominous they would have called it the megalodon or something but they're calling it the meg and so you get the sense and and plus from the trailers you get the sense that there's meant to be humor but did you guys find this film funny not as much as i wanted to there were some definitely some funny parts like the there's a scene at the end with like those big um, plastic balls that people get in and run in. Mm-hmm. I thought that stuff was hilarious, and I I just I I guess that's the movie I thought I was signing up for. So I'm like, yeah, more of that stuff. That's great. Right. Um. But the stuff I really liked the most was the stuff above water on the boat. You know, kind of at the one hour mark where that stuff starts going on with with rain Wilson and they've got the boat with the wenches on it and they're trying to figure out how they're going to deal with this threat now, you know, and they're coming up with a few different strategies for it. That's my favorite part of the movie, actually. Mm-hmm. What about you, mad cytologist? Yeah. I don't know if the, I'm trying to think if there's any like particularly humorous element that really worked for me. Um, I mean, I thought the, the child actress they had there, I thought she was sort of an entertaining character. Mm-hmm. Um, she wasn't as annoying as as a child as a as some child actors could be right um i don't know i mean like I, above 50 percentile though yeah <laughs> um i don't know i'm trying to like yeah i'd say rain wilson is probably as far as things go probably the most humorous character and probably gets sort of the best material to work with mm-hmm. right but i feel like jason satan to me just doesn't strike me as a humorous like part of me was looking today like if I, this movie would have worked better with like the rockers, someone who's a little more, Mm. you know, charismatic, charismatic. Yeah. He played it straight. I mean, he played it serious. Like he was in a real, like a genuine life threatening shark movie. I mean, that's how he played it. I felt for the most part, but yeah, the, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's the thing. It's the problem with the movie. A lot of this, the stuff is that it's hard for me to, even though I saw it only a week ago, a lot of it's not um, sticking in my head. If I were to say mm-hmm. more than humor, I'd say I really liked some of the action sequences. I think they were, um, I don't tend to be have as much problem as action and horror combined as um, maybe Wolfman does, but I thought some of those scenes actually worked um, pretty well. Mm-hmm. The street action stuff see, was good. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't see, and you don't see much of that kind of like the sub sort of like, you know, subs cruising around and like you yeah. know some of that was stuff i had never seen before or at least well maybe a shark attack three but we don't need to really <laughs> <laughs> i i loved all the mechanics of the wenches and the underwater cage stuff that was that was another one of my favorite sequences was the underwater cage sequence mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's that's cool well what about um and just the, just the last couple things here uh, i really felt like there, there are a ton. I mean, earlier in this episode, we talked about Deep Blue Sea, the first one. I felt like there were a ton of parallels to Deep Blue oh, Sea yeah. in this. It was like almost, almost like a a, a, a reboot or like some sort yeah. of a, a remake of that film, but instead of the sharks being intelligent or whatever, it's just, you know the shark is gigantic or whatever. Yeah, it's like this is what Deep Blue Sea two should have been, right? <laughs> right. 
Right. Yeah. The um, so I have not read these. I read the first two books back in high school. Um, so I think it came out around right around the time of, of, of deep blue sea. So the underwater base is only kind of in the second, mm -hmm. um, book. Um, I don't remember what they were using as the main research facility in the first one. So I think they, they brought in some elements from some of the later books in there. Okay. Um, but those are in the books. So yeah, I mean, you kind of, I cut them a little bit of slack on that. Um, I, I think really like, and Deep Blue itself, Deep Blue Sea itself, I feel like that took a lot of stuff from Jurassic Park, honestly. Right. right. Agreed. But it is weird how Rain Wilson is essentially playing the Sam, the. Um, yeah. Samuel Jackson. Yeah. Thank you. Samuel Jackson character. That's just kind of bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's definitely noticeable for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that character existed in the book. So that's definitely a, more direct take from deep blue sea probably you know who i thought was the worst actor those ruby rose i was just like appalled by her in this movie. i was just like what is going on here i guess she's on um orange is the new black is mm -hmm. i guess when she's be cast as batwoman in the new dc television series mm -hmm. uh you know it's like a crossover with the dc universe so i you know people are really excited about her but i just don't she was weird to me like i could not figure out why it, she was cast in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I th I thought she was going for that type of character. I mean, I thought that's what she was going for was kind of a, um, I don't know. I feel the like anime if I, character. <laughs> like, yeah, if I describe her, I feel like it would be at my peril because, well, like, what if someone I identifies <laughs> as this type of uh, sure. person that she is? But like, anyways, I I do feel like she had that, you know, that um that edge to her, and I thought that she was trying to evoke that but it just seemed a little hackers from like the 90s or something i don't know <laughs> right i just did it seemed like a character out of uh liquid television or something i just didn't I, mm -hmm. yeah well i think some of that might just be her personality and everything yeah okay so, so she's um, like a real real life eon flux or something well yeah. i mean all, all those tattoos i know on, on her are real so mm -hmm. oh okay um, those aren't makeup or anything um i don't know i i feel I kind of, I don't really like, I think she, I felt, she felt like a character that was maybe left in from an earlier rewrite because they didn't really do a whole lot with her. <laughs> right. But I kind of, I'm kind of sympathetic toward her this week, given that she just got run off of Twitter for, because people are horrible. <laughs> so. Oh, really? Um, because of the Batwoman casting, there's apparently, there were people mad at her because Batwoman's supposed to be Jewish and she's not. And then. Some people didn't think she was gay enough because that character is um, one of the more prominent lesbian superheroes. Oh, really? Because she identifies as gender fluid instead of female, so that means she's not a true. It's just sort of like people being awful, being people being awful to people anonymously well, online. Yeah. I, I don't support internet. <laughs> trollism but yeah that's that's too bad mm. i did not like her acting though <laughs> right but 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 still be nice to her on twitter guys i mean come on yeah well of course <laughs> of course okay so what do you guys think about this what if we wrap up with ratings and then we have uh the mad cytologist tell us um the degree to which this film the meg was accurate you guys good with that 
Yeah. Oh, okay. Absolutely. All right, let's do it. So I'm just going to go first because I'm probably going to be the meanest. Not that I want to be mean. I wanted to love this. Uh, and um, and I, I had a good time. And I saw it under the best possible circumstances. Because honestly, I didn't even think I was going to get to see a movie that weekend. <laughs> and I did. And I had fun. My kids had fun. And um, so for me, though, having said all that, it's a 6.5 out of 10. And I think this is a perfect Redbox rental. And that's what I call it. Uh, what do you call it, Mad Cytologist? Um, I would probably be around, say, a six. Um, not a whole lot different from six point five. I'd agree it's a rental. I really didn't. I didn't see an IMAX or anything, but I didn't really feel like it was something you need to must see in theaters. Mm-hmm. But I do think it is like it is definitely a step above quite a few of the shark movies. And I uh, liked seeing Megalodon, so. Mm-hmm. I'm in favor of more prehistoric monsters and that kind of stuff in our cinema instead of another ghost or zombie. So, <laughs> right, right, awesome. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Okay, so six out of ten, you call it a rental. And uh, what about you, Wolfman Josh? Yeah, I, I was kind of f- floating around the five area, but you guys talked to me up a little bit actually in the review because I think the metal just pointed out, you know. Although I don't love the action movie vibe, I do think the action sequences were really well done for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's certainly, you know, craft wise, there's a lot to appreciate other than just writing and some of the acting. But like, you know, the visuals are, are pretty exciting for the most part. So um, I'm probably going to give this one a six as well. And it's not something I would really recommend seeing in theaters. I think it's, you know, kind of a waste of money. Um, (laughs) However, you know, again, I talked to a few people like Dino mentioned um, that he really loved seeing this in in 3d IMAX because he just really felt like he was in the water. He could really sense that element of it. And so if you love shark movies and you really want to see one in the theater, you know, if you're someone who enjoys all the sci-fi shark movies, this is probably better than all of those. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, go see in the theater. You'll have a good time. I personally, my recommendation for the general recommendation is I'd call it a low priority rental. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's a decent shark. It's a decent action horror movie and it's better than most shark movies. I th- it is weird because, you know, the CGR shark in this film, although it looks obviously like a million times better than the, the deep blue sea CGI shark, you know, it doesn't look better than the deep blue sea animatronic shark still, <laughs> you know, like it's just weird where we are in technology. Like it, yeah. I would think that I should be able to completely believe that this is a real creature by now after this many Jurassic park movies. Um, I should never think this looks like a cartoon, but I definitely thought that at multiple times during my mm-hmm. viewing experience, which just took me out of it a little bit, you know, cause the more real something like this looks the absolutely more terrifying it is. And I think that's why those overhead shots really worked for me. Cause I thought that's when I really felt the danger of, Oh, I can imagine being in the situation, how much of this would freak me. Yeah. Having watched jaws four and jaws uh, three, oh. not long <laughs> this movie, like, Oh my goodness. Yeah. The, I, I was, I was fine with the CGI. I don't generally am bothered <laughs> by that too much. As long as it's not things not like really bargain basement. I thought it was good on that element. So yeah. And the majority of the CGI was good, but I, I just thought the actual mega itself didn't it just didn't look real. I uh, guess. I'm with you. I mean, for a budget of uh, supposedly it was like 130 million. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I would have thought it would have been a little, a, bit better. 
a little more, a little more <laughs> convincing. Uh, but speaking of money, I mean, the opening weekend in in the U.S. forty five million. I mean, that's it. It did much better than they even projected. So that was surprising. To me, I mean, I didn't expect to hit forty five million. <laughs> I mean, I kind of, I kind of wanted to do well because some of the future books have things like uh, Why a Pluridon. Like, uh, I haven't, I haven't read all the books, but me- the Megalodon almost becomes like almost an anti-hero where it's like Megalodon fighting even like worse giant sea predators from the past. <laughs> so if I can get, you know, if it does well enough that I can get, you know, a Megalodon fighting a giant plesiosaur type monster, you know, I'm, I'm kind of cool with that. <laughs> Yeah, I okay. I we could we could hope, right? We could hope that works out. Um, so but before we before we close this out, I just wanted to tell you that Vicious Victor on the comment board he said that the Meg was thoroughly enjoyable for him. He gave it a seven point five out of ten with appropriate American and Chinese casting choices that were a great fit for the story. So Vicious Victor was. Uh, more favorable toward this now, Dave. Yeah. After hearing our review, um, what what say you, Doctor Shock? Is this something you're interested in catching in the theater, or what are you going to do? Probably not the theater, but when <laughs> it uh, makes its way to um, streaming, I will check it out. Mm-hmm. And I will say, I talked to Dino and Juan from our audience after seeing this, and they both loved it. They both had a really good time with this movie in theaters, and um, they and I asked them both to like defend that because i want to like this a lot and so i was like talk me into liking this please like they kept saying it's just just it's just dumb fun i'm like which sequences were fun i can think of three were there more <laughs> like what were the fun parts and they're like well, it was mm-hmm. they were kind of giving me that you look you just don't get it if you don't get it you don't get it so well and it's nearly yeah. two hours i mean a hundred yeah. uh, hour 53 minutes and and the thing is you know i love dino and one but saying if you don't get it you don't get it i think we understand what big dumb fun like schlocky b b monster movies are supposed to be right but no i'm i i'm i buy into what they're saying oh, like okay. i they they i i couldn't they you know it's one of those unexplainable things it's just you kind of you like what it's doing yeah and and i didn't like what it was doing i just wanted to be <laughs> at odds with one on every opportunity yeah. that i can I see. <laughs> no i'm just kidding <laughs> All right, so uh, finally on this, and I'm sorry, everybody's probably like, okay, enough with the Meg. But this is our mega review of the Meg. Um, Mad Cytologist, what did they get right without going into spoilers, if you can? I'm sorry for the restriction, but do you... Oh, I don't think I really need to go into spoilers for it. Um, That's good. I mean, the nice thing about Megalodon, if you're going to make a movie about it, is that uh, it's really only known from Keith. Uh, so it gives you a lot of leeway in how you... Uh, um, uh, you know, depicted on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's gets a bit too big. Um, I think at one point they say um, 70 to 90 feet is their estimate, which is beyond what we think they could get to the uh, maximum gets up to maybe 70, but that's like sort of the, you know, outlier one study. Some, you know, it's not generally the agreed upon values. So they, you know, it's an animal that it's huge. I mean, it's a 35 to, you know, 67 foot shark. So it's not like a, you know, a dainty little thing, but mm-hmm. um, right. so it was a little overly big. Um, That's interesting. Just thinking about that in shark movie terms, you know, if we're talking about 
great whites topping out at like 20 feet and then like in the in deep blue sea that's like a 40 foot shark and so this is <laughs> in the 70 it, it foot area to like add extra add yeah. Yeah. a little bit longer but in jaws 25 feet you know so yeah, yeah. yeah. One of, well one of the things i really liked about the design though was that it felt like a distinct animal it didn't feel like mm-hmm. a lot of movies and even paleo art that gets you know published and is supposed to be something accurate they really doubled down on making it just a big, like it's like a great white shark. They depict like with a whale in its mouth. Um, so I like the fact that the this animal it looked like a distinct creature. It didn't just look like a great white shark that was just you mm. know twice the size. Good point. Um, nice. So that was an element I really liked. Um, they also did a pretty good job. I mean, they showed that it was going after whales. Um, you know, like those are most. I think this is the record for amount of cruelty to to uh, whales that I've seen in a movie, but um, <laughs> certainly in recent years, yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, they. I mean, this was an animal that probably did eat whales, and it was attracted to them. Um, you know, and it was uh, not afraid to go after you know living or dead. Mm-hmm. It's like a regular shark, um, and I like the fact that they. Um, this not a direct thing on Meg, but. One thing I really liked is, you know, I, I would prefer to actually have seen this in explicit detail, but, uh, you know, they make a comment on the uh, fin industry, which is just a horrifying, cruel practice mm-hmm. uh, where they're just illegally harvesting um, sharks, cutting off their fins, and then sending them still alive off of the shark fin soup craze, which basically is like, doesn't really do anything at all. Um, so I like that they brought out that, you know, it was one of the more maybe preachy moments, but if a lot of Chinese people see that and like, go, oh, maybe we shouldn't, wow. you know, do that's that. a great point. A really great um, point. Which is why I would have much preferred, you know, actually seeing the Meg eat some fitting uh, fishery folks. Um, but yeah, that, that's sort of my take. I think they did a fairly good job um, with um, mostly with how it looks again. You know, you have to buy into the premise that Megalodon's still alive, which is, you know, not real. Um, once it, once you accept that premise, I think they did a pretty good job with mm-hmm. hitting its activities on the surface and what it looked like. Um, again, it's, you know, it's not going to be living in the deep sea, but you have to buy into that premise for this movie. Right. So, yeah. Well, you, um, cool. mad cytologist, you reminded me of the funniest thing for me about this film. And it it was like external. It was outside the film. So this isn't somebody, something everyone else will experience. But my uh, 10 year old son, you know, he's at that age where he'll ask me what certain words mean. And I'll, it'll be like a little more abstract, abstract type of word. And I'll explain it. And, um, you know, you never know if they really retain what you're saying or not. So I'm sitting there in this movie and they show that, that, you know, the finless sharks sequence where sharks have had fins cut off. And this is very mild, mild, mild spoiler. It's not even plot related, but, but, and, and so you, you see the sharks with pieces missing from them and it's this sad thing. And then, um, shortly thereafter you see, uh, human, <laughs> human, uh, disarming human moment. Uh, let's just call it that. And my son turns to me and says, karma, <laughs> cause, cause I recently yeah, taught him what karma was anyways. I guess you had to yeah, be I had there. The same thought going in my head. So yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. I guess you had to be there. But anyways, um, 
Well, Mad Cytologist, you were awesome on this. Thank you for bringing your expertise to the table. We appreciate learning yes. from you. And, and if you don't mind, could you tell the listeners where they could catch up with you online? Um, so I don't uh, right now I'm a, well, I'm a professor at the uh, University of Wisconsin Oshkosh. Um, so I teach anatomy there. I do have a web page with if you look me up on there in the biology department. Um, I have a Twitter. I think I've used it once in the last year. And honestly, with some of the recent Twitter stuff, it kind of doesn't really encourage me to use it more. Um, I am also on a letterbox D. Um, so this month I've been going through and reviewing, um, nothing but sharp. Well, I've had to, to, to take some, you know, other movies in just to stay sane, but, uh, been reviewing heavily, uh, different shark movies. So if you want to see some, um, poorly edited uh, thoughts and comments on the uh, <laughs> shark movie genre on various uh, reviews. Uh, you can uh, find me on there. Um, I think that's it mostly. Uh, okay. So on Letterboxd, are you just in under um, Mad Cytologist then? Is yeah. that Okay. Gotcha. All right. Cool. And then, and then Jay, did you say you had a book coming out? Oh, um, I don't have a book coming a out. Paper? But I do a paper and, mm -hmm. um, in fact, the paper might even be out by the time this gets, um, by the time you put this together. It's, it's supposed to be coming. It's been one of these things. I don't know when it's actually coming out, um, but it's gone through all the process of peer review. And so I'm just waiting for the journal to publish it. Um, That's cool. So, Sorry, we're, we're yeah. only giggling because we're, we, we, <laughs> that sounded like a rip on Jay there, but. <laughs> no, and I, and I own it. I deserve it 100%. So if you were meaning to do that, then well done. Touche. <laughs> well, uh, when, when we're hoping to get a, we were hoping it would come out actually for the Meg since that would be, you know, some nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Media coverage synergy. Uh, so um, yeah, if it, when it comes out, I'll, I, maybe I'll send a link to any of the press coverage you know, what it gets or whatever. Thank you. Um, and I really should, you know, I should mention that that paper, I am not the sole author on, and I did the analyses. I really, um, Dana Errett and Robert Bosnecker and a bunch of other really awesome scientists uh, really were the people to kind of spearhead that effort. So Nice. Okay. Well, great. Well, thank you. It was a real pleasure to have you, and uh, we appreciate your time. Thanks, it Matt. It was a pleasure. If you guys thank ever you. end up finding yourself reviewing Orca or uh, Jurassic Park or anything paleo, let me know and I'd be more than happy to share any thoughts. So 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. That's happening. You, Definitely. You got it. All right. And at this point in episode 153 of Horror Movie Podcast, it's time to move into Screaming Online. Okay, this time on Screaming Online, we are going to be talking about The Reef, yes. which is available on VOD9 Digital Rental on a lot of platforms. It's also streaming for free with your subscription to Shudder, so uh, you can check it out there. This is an Australian film from 2010, 2011, depending on which release date you prefer. Um, it's directed by Andrew Trauke, and he wrote it as well with James M. Vernon. And it's based 
loosely on a true story. I think it does deviate some from the original events, but it's very much reminiscent to me of open water, but it's kind of like in a more intense action oriented version of open water to some Mm -hmm. degree. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's an interesting movie, you know, it's, as I mentioned, it's based on kind of a, a real life story. It, it, calls back to a real event that happened in Australia uh, called Townsville, the Townsville, I guess, incident um, where these people, you know, were stranded on the great barrier reef. And in this case, we have a group of people where they, they've got a situation with a capsized sailboat and their pontoon boat has sprung a leak and they're just far enough away from shore and kind of stuck in a current. So they're drifting out to sea and they've got to deal with that situation. And so either, swim in what they know they're pretty sure are shark infested waters or stay and possibly drift so far out to sea that um, they won't be able to see land anymore and they may sink before they're rescued. And so it's a tough situation to be put in and um, the characters have to make that choice and all but one of them decide to swim for it. And they very quickly run into difficulties with a great white shark and it's a, it's pretty good. I mean, I, I was really impressed by this. I think it's a decent survival horror film. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just a, it's although again, although it's pretty similar to open water in some ways, and maybe not even as good in terms of the relationship and, you know, kind of dramatic aspects of open water. It does do the shark action stuff in a much more satisfying way for a horror fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I'm with you on this, but here's the thing I want to say, and I, I hate being this guy because, like, the first time I saw this, I remember it was back, well, you know, it was around 2011, 2012. This was in the Horror Palace days, and I I was streaming on Netflix or whatever. I believe that's where I saw it first, and and man, I loved this. I'm like, this is truly a, a great shark film, and I was, like, way into it, and then when I, so I felt like you did, Josh, I really enjoyed it and thought it was very effective. But then upon revisiting it, it just, for whatever reason, it didn't hold up as well the second time I watched it. And so I was, I have a theory. Okay. Cause I was worried about diminishing returns and that's why I didn't, I haven't revisited it in like a few years to be honest, but what's your theory? Well, because I think that, um, it's, it doesn't what it doesn't do very well is build these characters. And so in the way the open water makes you really care about those people, I think this works well enough for a one-time viewing, but it's not something you can really revisit because there's not a lot of depth to it. You know, it's interesting and it's cool mm-hmm. for a one-time viewing, but I don't think it, I, I can see that it wouldn't necessarily reward repeat viewings. Yeah. And this, you know, what's interesting about that for me is um, the same thing happened and it's a very similar film to The Shallows from 2016. The first time I saw The Shallows, I was pretty over the moon nuts about it. But, yeah, me too. But then upon revisiting it, it wasn't quite the same. And it's weird how, for me at least, and it's weird how the, the, the premise, you know, kind of the things that happen, like story beats and stuff and the, the whole stranded type of aspect, um, you know, they both have that in common. And I just wonder if, if it's one of those things where, okay, I already know what's going to happen. And that takes yeah. away some of the mystery. Yeah, Cause I think it's like what we just talked about with deep blue sea, you know, it's kind of like, well, this happens and then this happens and then this happens. Mm-hmm. It's like, you can't, 
you can't you can really invest in that on your first viewing but you're not going to get much out of it beyond that right because there isn't anything that's really making you care about this character you know and you know especially in the shallows because you know she doesn't have much to work with in that case you know right she's the only person in it but yeah, I, I can totally see that with this. And I have the same experience with the shows. I still like it, but um same. And I would still recommend it to anybody for a first time viewing, but mm-hmm. I don't think it's a great second viewing film. Well, the shallows is truly beautiful though. I mean, and like you know, Gor- I, g- gorgeous yes. film. Yeah. Yeah. But but the reef though, I mean, you know, for me, I mean, you didn't ask me this, but I'm just gonna throw it out there. For me, like I, I still would call it an eight out of ten. And I'd call it a strong rental recommendation once, yeah. at least once. But then after that, I mean, it, don't try to revisit it because you're going to be disappointed. That's my experience anyway. It seems like they use real life sharks a lot in the film, too. So I think that's cool. Like mm-hmm. I was trying to do my research to like, fi- you know, figure out exactly what their process was mm-hmm. with it because as I was watching, I was like, that's gotta be real shark footage. Like I kept thinking that over and over again, like this, this looks like real shark footage. Um, <laughs> so I don't know, I, but I, but I couldn't tell you for sure. Cause I could not find um, those details, but it looks like it. So, so in some ways it's like not as breathtakingly beautiful right. as something that's really choreographed mm-hmm. like those animatronic scenes in deep blue sea or the stuff in the shallows or whatever. But on the other hand, it just feels really real, like open water, like except for there's giant great white swimming at you. And so it's just <laughs> even a little bit more exciting than totally. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, Dave, you've seen the reef, right? Uh, this was actually the first viewing for me. So oh, I cool. got um, a lot of the uh, the suspense. I mean, every time uh, he would go underwater when somebody said they thought they saw something and you'd see him looking off and into the distance. And, and um, I, I, thought i found a lot i had there was a lot of tension in that um for me as i was watching this and then even when he would see the shark you're right it's a it's a very real shark and it's not acting like you see in a lot of movies where it's coming right up to them this is like a circling shark and oh is it going away and oh now it's getting closer but then all of a sudden something happens and you just realize how quickly it can happen so yeah for me this definitely worked um a- as intended Nice. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, I mean, I I, I feel bad. I mean, I, I feel bad for not, like, you know, pouring out more and more love on it every time we talk about it. But, yeah, I hope people will see it at least once. But what do you, I mean, are you ready for ratings on this, Josh? Because I'm dying. Oh, yeah, to, I'm really sure. interested yeah. in, in what you, you think about it. I was an eight, but what do you give it? Man, um, I'm, I'm up there with you. I think this is an eight out of ten, and I think it's super exciting for the first time view like and again i can't i can't speak to a second time view yet but um i can imagine what you're saying and i i really enjoyed this i it's a strong stream recommendation for me as i said it is streaming on shutter uh with free with a subscription and it's also for 2.99 rental other places and i think it's very much worth that if you like shark movies i think this is in the upper echelon of, of shark films you know i think it's in the top uh, you know, 20% of shark movies. Oh, for sure. For sure. What do you say, David? I'm going to give it an 8.5. Um, and I definitely think it's, it's a high, I'd say a high priority rental and definitely to see it at least once. 
Um, again, I can't speak to the repeat viewing either because this was my first time, but I, uh, I was impressed. I really was. That's cool. I'm glad to hear we're all up there in that range. And I bet you what I'll do is like maybe I think 2014 was the last time I saw this or something. Um, maybe I'll watch it in, you know, 10 years or so, and then I'll probably love it again. Maybe after I've forgotten, you know, everything that happens, that's what I'm hoping. So (laughs) cool. Great screaming online pick, especially for our shark attack part two episode. I love it. And at this point, um, we have a little bit of a postmortem talk on a film that, um, that I gave a 4.5 instead of void. And it was uh, 47 meters down from 2017. What did you guys think about it? Wow, I thought it was a beautiful movie. Um, <laughs> I really liked it a lot. I mean, I don't. I, I also don't think it's one you're going to want to watch twice. But I thought it was really awesome um, for what it was. You know, it's a survival horror film, and not a whole lot happens. And you know, but it almost feels like the events in of this movie could have been just one or two set pieces in a, in another film, you know, I feel like they really stretch out the premise a lot, but it's kind of, that's kind of a fun idea. You know, the one location, if you're, if you're thinking of this as like, you know, a one location narrative in a house movie, but you put that underwater, you know, in a, in a shark diving cage, that's kind of cool. So this is a film by Johannes Roberts, it's a 2017 film. He uh, wrote and directed it when he wrote it with Ernest Riera. It stars Mandy Moore as your lead with Claire Holt. And they are two sisters who decide to go on a shark cage dive trip while they're on vacation in Mexico, I believe. And um, they go out on a boat with a couple of Mexican guys and Matthew Modine, who's the, the boat captain. And they send them down to the water, and very quickly they have some problems. The uh, the um, wench that's holding the shark cage kind of breaks, and they fall far further than they're supposed to go down. About I think like thirty seven meters further down than they were intending to go. And so at that depth, the the air's running out quicker. There are sharks in the water. They can't make it back up to shore, and there are all kinds of um, little minor problems that arise that they have to deal with in order to try to survive the situation. It's a fun movie. I thought it was great. Hmm. Okay. David, what did you say, Dr. Jock? Um, I probably am a little bit, but I'm, I definitely am going to come in higher than you did, Jay. Um, I don't know if I liked it quite as much as Josh did. I, I liked um, the, the premise and I, the whole thing of being in this cage and, you know, what happens to them. I thought that was really interesting. And a lot of what happens, I, I, I enjoyed. I thought that they telegraphed things a little bit, especially at the end there, uh, with the you know uh, there's a scene where with uh, with air tanks, Mm -hmm. and they get sort of a warning, Um, and and you so uh, for me that's sort of uh, you're expecting you're waiting for that to happen, right? And it did, and so it it's I didn't I don't know that they needed to go I don't know. I don't know how else they would have handled it to be honest with you, but it just it had me waiting for something. It had me expecting something. So I wasn't as surprised yeah by what happened uh towards the end of the movie. Um but uh the two characters I thought were were interesting and I and you know we're talking about drama in in these sort of movies and I thought that it it kind of worked there because we got to know them 
a little better. We got to know the one who's really adventurous and the the other one who uh, sort of envies that, but yet can't quite be as adventurous. Um, and it's it's cost her, you know, in in her in her in her private life and um, or in her love life, I should say. Um, so I liked those uh, portions of it and just the idea with being in that situation. You know, they've lured these sharks in because they, for you to see them. And then you're at the mercy of them. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed that as well. So um, not uh, not great, but I definitely um, uh, worth seeing. I guess we'll get to that with ratings. But, uh, you know, I did enjoy it. I think what's interesting about this movie is that um, it, just comparing this to something like The Meg, like in, in every other case, The Meg is superior in terms of how many set pieces and plot points there are, you know, sweeping shots and all of this stuff, but this works, the scares and tension and the reality of this, of the threat and the tension they were facing felt way more believable to me than the Meg. Like I really felt like they were in peril and I cared about the characters as Dave was saying, I think feel like the drama portions of the film worked. And so, although, you know, I would have hoped for a lot more, um, you know, maybe out of just, I guess, you know, more set pieces, more story, more plot points at the same time. Like, you know, I think what it did, it handled that tension and, and, uh, you know, character storytelling very, very well. And so I liked those elements of it. Mm-hmm. I'm really surprised, honestly, and I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it, obviously, because yeah, for me, I was extremely disappointed in the execution and I was so on board for this movie and, and I won't rehash everything I said back in episode 120, but um, one of the things that I will say positive for it is that whole dynamic w- where the one the one sister is so, um, I believe it was Mandy Moore's character, right, was so reluctant and hesitant and kind of sheepish and scared and, and not wanting to do it. And, and so, like, I, I don't know. I just expected that, um, you know, dragging her into this and then things go south I, I expected that to be much more, I guess, perilous and traumatic for her because, you know, you relate, I, at least I relate to her because I'm like a safety guy and I'm super cautious about everything yeah. and worried all the time. And so, I, I, you know, when things when things started going bad, I'm like, well, oh, my goodness, I'd be didn't losing they go it. really? I mean, they did go pretty bad. <laughs> Right. And I'm not saying I'm not saying that they didn't go bad, but just the way that that was handled, I, I feel like she like she would have been more out of her mind. Yeah, she she bucks up into survival mode like um a lot more readily than I ever expected. I, I just I don't believe her hmm. her character, I guess. Well, it, it, I think, number one, she doesn't do it right away, but you are given a very short. I guess that's maybe a problem with the circumstances of the film mm-hmm. is because they're running out of air at the bottom of the ocean. They don't have a whole lot of time to do you know this has to play out in somewhat like in a real time kind of style and so mm-hmm. um she has to, you know you're facing death jay you yeah you're a you're a cautious guy you maybe lose your crap when this happens initially but if it's like either this or be dead you're probably especially she, it's not like she acts right away you know she is the she takes second seat for quite a while i feel like you're gonna you know it's a fight or flight kind of situation I think you're going to have to do something if you want to yeah. survive. 
So were you, and this is a different topic, were you frustrated by all of the attempts at surprises? And I know usually that's a good thing, but like all the twists and turns and surprises in this movie and it's like, personally, I was rolling my eyes, but were you okay with that ride they took you on? Yeah, I mean, I I didn't have a problem with uh, a lot of it. I mean, some of the surprises, I know where you're coming from especially with regards to the shark mm-hmm. uh, and and what happens with that. So I, I know, I, I can understand why that would bother you. Mm-hmm. I, didn't mean to, I didn't mean to put the emphasis on you yeah. as if you. I, I can see why that would bother <laughs> some people. Okay, yeah. I can see why that would bother some, some people. people. Who are these yeah. people? <laughs> right. Um, but uh, it didn't it didn't bother me and it didn't take me out of the movie. That's all I can, you know, I can say about it. Okay, cool. Um, you know, what I would say, I, you know, I, I did read like the IMDb trivia about this film. And according to the users of IMDb, this has a lot of factual mistakes of things that would not actually work if you, you know, were scuba diving and things that don't make sense for the reality of that situation. Because I'm not aware of them, they didn't bother me. But, you know, as we've found when I, we review something I do know about like frozen, that kind of stuff really does bug me. So I can imagine had I done more research about scuba diving prior to having seen this film, that kind of stuff getting under my, you know, like, well, they couldn't have actually switched tanks because of this reason. And their eardrums would have burst because of this reason. And like, that's kind of annoying. I wish a screenwriter would do more, research uh, if you're writing a movie like this yeah i mean why does it have to be 47 meters down i mean that's really freaking deep like i mean yeah it could have just been it is very deep and i was wondering how the pressure would affect them and it didn't seem to affect them there were things like that that it and i'm not i'm not aware of uh of you know the, the scuba diving and and the yeah you know any what you were talking about josh on um you know some of the factual errors Mm-hmm. But it, I did that did hit me. It's like wow, 150. It's like 150 feet, I guess. Somewhere it's more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that's that's a long ways down. And and I was also wondering if it would be a little darker down there, which you can't really do in a movie, obviously. But right. like, would they be able to see um, where they were going? And uh, I don't know. I, and maybe they can. I don't know how. Again, I don't know. It could be it, that part could have been, you know, perfectly fine. But little things like that I was thinking of. But again, not enough to to take me completely out of the movie. It just it's it's almost as if it, like it makes me giggle. You know, I, like I laugh like because number one, the premise. I'm like, wow, I love this premise. I love this situation. I love survival horror. I mean, I was the target market for a movie like this. But then it's like. It might as well said a thousand meters down, you know, like it's just like so, <laughs> so overboard. It's like, oh, I mean, it could have been 20 meters or like, you know, 15. I don't know. It's just dumb. Anyways, sorry. I'm glad you guys like it, though. I'll shut up about it. So <laughs> wh- where do you guys fall on rating? I mean, I was 4.5. I told people to avoid it. But what do you say? Wolfman? Um, you know, like my initial reaction was probably like in the seven range, but as I like started like thinking about some of these factual things, like I said, kind of, kind of rubbed me the wrong way and thinking about how they, you know, they really didn't do too much plot wise that those dropped me down a few points, you know? So, you know, I think I settle in, in kind of the, 
5.5 range. I guess I'll go um, 5.56 is where I'm feeling. So take that either way you you like. But mm-hmm. um, I do think it's a good shark movie. I, again, like I think it's better than a lot that I've seen. Um, I think it's totally watchable. It is streaming right now. So you could catch this one on Netflix uh, like many of the others we've discussed tonight. And I think you could do a lot worse. Uh, so yeah, I think if you like a shark movies, it's absolutely worth a one-time rental and, uh, say, check it out. <laughs> okay. Dr. Shock, what do you say you? I was thinking five, but I think 5.5, I think it's a little above, um, you know, that, that sort of middle ground there. So I think 5.5 is a fair rating and, uh, I'd agree see it, uh, see it at least once. And I say, see shark attack three Megalodon. <laughs> Just kidding. You know what, guys? Speaking of 47 meters down, did you see that there is a 2019 sequel slated called 47 meters down the next chapter? And it's about five backpackers diving in a ruined underwater city like the ruins. uh, And they quickly learn that that they're amazing. They're not alone. That sounds really cool. I love that. In these submerged caves. And once again, it's co-written and directed by uh, Johannes Roberts again. So, um, uh, It looks really nice. I think the cinematography is great. I think the acting was generally good. I think the tension was well done. I think you could do a lot worse. Okay. Well, then you guys, and I'll definitely see the sequel too, of course. I mean, um, look forward to that. It's slated to come out um, next next June, June of 2019. And so, um, you know, we'll have, I'm pretty sure we'll be covering that on our next Shark Attack Part <laughs> 3, right? So Yeah, man. 47 sure. meters down two and Deep Blue Sea 2. That's we'll right. There. there you go. And yeah. bait. We'll have to do bait as well. Oh, yeah. Bait for sure. Okay. Well, I mean, I've already cried a lot about Deep Boosie, too. So we didn't get to that, damn it. And then, um, and then Josh, you you were going to tell us a little bit about so um some things that are coming up here. Stre- yeah. Well, I did want to mention Deep Boosie, too, is streaming currently on Amazon, YouTube, and Google Play. And Sharknado 6 premieres this coming Sunday as of this recording. So we're recording on a Wednesday, August 19th um, on the sci-fi channel. You have the final installment in the Sharknado series. <laughs> and it is going to be, have you guys seen the teaser for this thing? No, dude. No, I can't it looks, I the teaser looks amazing. I guarantee you the movie won't be as good as the teaser, but um <laughs> It's medieval. It's set in medieval times. So oh I'm super excited to check this thing out. What's wrong with you? Wow. It looks hilarious. It, it looks like um, like knights fighting a dragon, but instead it's like a flying shark. And then a guy pulls out a chainsaw and like cuts the shark in half. <laughs> Did they have chainsaws in medieval times? I don't I know. Think, I think only Bruce Campbell did. It right. must be it must right. be an Ash versus Evil Dead kind of thing with oh you know maybe goodness. Ian Ziering travels in time. Who knows what's going to happen? But Josh. I know that I'm going to be tuning in to the Sci-Fi Channel on August. on August 19th. Okay, well just make sure your wife doesn't see you watching that because <laughs> that's going to be the straw that breaks she, she, the camel. Yeah, she, she may be longing for the subtle times of Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> Sharknado Six. 
I do also want to say, you know, we talked about Keone Bothorpe's shark attack story. Yes. Um, he is in pro- post-production on a documentary. I don't, I mentioned that at the time that he was attacked by the shark, he had been wanting to shoot a shark conservation film. And what's crazy is that after having that intensely traumatic experience that he had, um, fighting off a shark. He's still a shark advocate, and he made this film called Saving Jaws that's about this lady named Ocean Ramsey. They call her like the Shark Whisperer or whatever, but she swims with great white sharks. The character in Dark Tide, the Holly Berry movie that I talked about last year on the show, is, I guess, based on her, and um, she, yeah, she swims with great whites, which is insane. And there's footage of her like riding along a shark totally peacefully. And it's terrifying. And Keone has sent me video of him like swimming with tiger sharks and stuff. And he was able to get back in the water with these things. <clears throat> so if you liked that story, I, and if you haven't heard it, I recommend going back to episode 122 and checking it out. Oh my goodness. But if, yes. Must listen. But if you liked yeah, if you like the story, check out Keone's doc. It's coming out soon. Um, I don't know what the exact date is, but I know I think it's I think it's like finished as of like today or t- tomorrow. Like it was going through like color correction and stuff. So it's, it's very close to coming out. I think it's going to be on Netflix and stuff. But if you follow the star of the film, Ocean Ramsey, um, on Instagram, it's just at Ocean Ramsey. Uh, I'm sure you know, she'll be posting about it. And if you Google like ocean Rams, you can see all kinds of crazy footage of her riding around on great white sharks. And then, um, Keone, his, uh, Instagram is Keone shoots. He doesn't use it very much, but he said he's going to try to get better at social media. So mm-hmm. yeah, keep an eye out for saving jaws. I can't wait. Yeah. Will you let us know, Josh, if you catch wind of that before we do. Yeah. yeah. And actually I should say, I totally forgot about this. I'm in, I'm in the movie. That was the one I, I did an interview. I was going to oh, try wow. to get together with Jay and do it like in the horror movie podcast, podcasting booth kind of situation and talk about, but he wanted like someone to talk about shark movies mm-hmm. and I just wasn't able to organize it. Cause it's when I was traveling to China and everything, but I just shot it at my house um, with my red camera and then sent him the footage and he stuck it in the movie, I guess. So wow. I don't know what made it in the film, but it's, it's me talking about Jaws um, and shark movies in general. Oh, Wolfman's like, it's a 10 out of 10, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, don't, I, I had totally spaced that I was in it. I just remembered that um, just now. So I think I made the cut. I'm not sure. It could be a Jay, Jason Piles and Clean Flick situation. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> hit the cutting room floor, but um, I know. you never know. That's so funny. For listeners who don't know that, Joshua is a documentary filmmaker and a very fine one at that. And he made this great film called Clean Flicks. And um, I was interviewed as a, a film critic in that. The first time we met was it, it interviewing was. Jay for this documentary. <laughs> That's right. And not one scene of me made it in the film. But um, honestly, it was, it's for the best. <laughs> it was not because it wasn't an interesting. It was just uh, the story took a dramatic twist about halfway. And so we had way more con. The, the, the story changed, basically. And there just wasn't enough time for the content that you know, the first half of the film was changed amazingly. Yeah. I love, I love that film because of what happens in it, Josh. Yeah. So anyways, that sounds great. So saving jaws. I cannot wait to see that. Uh, I'm definitely gonna, uh, we'll review it over on movie podcast weekly for real. 
So that'll be great. Um, awesome. Okay. So, and then I understand we have some listener feedback and maybe even a little giveaway or something. Yeah. So Dave was going to do a giveaway for the Deep Blue Sea DVD. Do you want to set that up, Dave? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, one of the DVDs I was originally offering for sale from my collection is uh, Deep Blue Sea. I have uh, upgraded it to Blu-ray, so I have the DVD that I've had for you know a number of years. Figured we could give it away, uh, or Josh had recommended maybe giving it away uh, as a prize, and I think it's a great idea. Deep Blue Sea figured uh, this is the perfect time to uh, to give it to somebody to uh, use it as a, as a prize. Okay, and are we going to do that in our standard way where if people um, retweet uh, the official tweet for this episode or something? Is that is that how we're going to do it? We can do it that way, sure. I mean, I, I that sounds good to me. Okay, and then so we'll um, post, you know, a tweet uh, about this episode, and if you retweet it, then you'll be eligible for the DVD, and then Dave will pick a winner. Yes. He retweeted it. Does that sound yeah. good? That's right. Sounds good. And along those lines, we have that deal set up. If you were a listener of our summer vacation horror episode, if you've uh, had a chance to listen to that yet, we, we made the same deal with our listeners there. We said anyone who retweets the official tweet of that episode uh, will be eligible for a drawing for a DVD of, and it was a double of mine as well, of a, uh, what's it called? A perfect getaway? Oh. Uh-huh. Perfect getaway. Okay. Oh, oh yeah. Is that yeah, the name yeah. of the movie? Yeah, a perfect getaway. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. So unfortunately, it's open, but it's never been played. I opened it and then I said, "Wait a minute, I have this on the shelf." And then I realized there was another one on the shelf. So uh, we thought, well, might as well give that away on this episode since I have two of them. So um, we are going to do that as well. And I am going to look at the people who retweeted it. We had three different tweets about that um, summer vacation horror episode so far two on our account and one on the movie podcast network account. And so I think between those three, we had about a hundred people. How many tweeted? How many was it? I think it was about a hundred. Let me see. There's 35 plus 23 is uh, what? 78. And then another, um, let's see. Well, it's 58, I think. Oh, sorry. 58. Yeah, yeah 58. And then another um, 11. Okay, so it's uh, 69. 69 right. entries. 69, dude. Yeah, right. <laughs> 69 <laughs> entries in this contest. And so we're going to look at those who retweeted the Summer Vacation Horror tweets. And the winner of the a Perfect Getaway DVD is going to be Tom from South Jersey. All so right. Congratulations to Tom. He's at this underscore is underscore Tom on Twitter. Congratulations. Drop us a line. Horror movie podcast at gmail.com. Give us your address and I will ship that out to you, my brother. So thank and you for the retweet and we thank you for your patronage. And thank you for listening. That's right. That's right. And speaking of uh, like prize giveaways and stuff, um, one reason why I don't sell anything anymore is because I'm terrible at like sending out stuff. And there was one, there was one winner we had back in the day, and I have it here in my email, so don't worry, I'm good for this. 
but I, I didn't have the winner's address and I asked for it on the show and the win, the winner did email it to me. And so I'm going to get that to you. It was either, um, do you remember when we did the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Blu-ray giveaway and then there was another film? It was Get Out. Yeah, yeah, Get Out. The winner of Get Out. Don't worry. I got your email. That's coming out to you. I promise. I promise. But Dave and Josh are very good about sending things out. So props to them. Yeah, I'm sure we've missed a couple too. We've done a lot of giveaways. Yeah, I'm, sure. I'm sure. I know we're gonna but get if, sued if anybody, one day. If anybody didn't get their stuff, also let us know and we'll get. Those yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, and then there was uh, one other. You you had a, a tweet from Joel, I believe. Oh yeah, did you guys talk about that last time? No, we didn't. Okay, just real quick, Josh is looking up a, a tweet. This we got this amazing email, and I gotta shout this out right here. So uh, Sean Brunette a listener of horror movie podcast sent the, the coolest email and the title is a new HMP fan was born. And he says, Hey Jay, Josh and doc. I wanted to pass along some good news. A new horror movie fan was born on August 2nd, 2018 when my wife and I welcomed Lachlan McClay brunette into the world. My brother, awesome. Joe, <laughs> who has written uh, to the show a lot pointed out to me, immediately that it also happens to be Wes Craven's birthday. So the kid is bound to love horror movies. I've loved HMP from the beginning and I can't wait to revisit horror movies for little monsters when Lachlan gets a bit older and you can, (laughs) by the way, Sean, you can add uh, the Meg into that list. He says, I took a photo of me holding Lachlan in my horror movie podcast t-shirt. And, and this, this photo is seriously the cutest I mean, this photo is amazing. And so I don't know. Um, I, I will wait. Uh, I'm going to email Sean and see if I can get Sean's permission, if he's okay with me posting this in the show notes. Uh, and if so, it will definitely be there. It is a killer picture. But, you know, since it's That's got his great. child in it, I'll double check first. <laughs> yeah, congratulations on that. That's awesome. Yeah, HMP fans. Oh, I love that. Love it. The HMP fans are the absolute best. And I wanted to share a couple of tweets here. This first one is from Joel. And uh, this is, struck me so funny. Joel, uh, he's at Mich- Michigan on uh, Twitter. Mm-hmm. But he tweeted, does anyone else say hi along with Jay in the <laughs> intro of every podcast? And I thought that was so funny. And uh, and it uh, turns out, yes, uh, Kelly Cook says, ha, for me, though, it's not seen along with Journey. I want to hear Steve Perry sing. You know, I wait for it. Peter Nielsen says, yep. Ryan Horror, or sorry, Horror Ryan says, every damn time, lol. <laughs> Tom says, yep, I'm guilty. Brian Smith <laughs> says, um <laughs> Brian Smith, he, he's referencing your other show here. He says, hi, welcome to Movie Podcast Weekly Episode Blank. Every single week, you're hear movie reviews on new releases that are currently in theaters from a film critic, an actor, a geek, and a guy named Andy. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah, That's so, so funny. I'll, I'll tell you a story about that, which probably won't interest anybody. But um, <laughs> so when I... When I started podcasting, it's weird, right, to do an initial greeting, I think, and like... And and that's I usually just greet people with hi anyway. But um, the, the do you remember that movie that weird Disney movie with Bruce Willis called The Kid? And yeah. um, and and he 
And he's like on the airplane with that gal who has a southern accent or something. And he says, use that or whatever. And he says, use that in the future and it'll show up in your career. Do you remember something like that? Well, I don't I don't have any sort of career, but um, I just remember um, Bill Shetty was uh, like tuning into that high thing. And he used to make fun of me a lot. Like he used to like imitate me and say, hi, hi. Like, and then I knew I'm like, okay, this is like that Bruce Willis thing. Cause if it's, if it's stands out enough to annoy some people, then maybe it'll stick with others. So that's, that's why I have that. I knew that wouldn't be interesting, but I just thought I'd throw it out. Oh, that is funny. I also wanted to mention one other tweet. This is from Shane, the maniac cop. (laughs) And uh, I love Shane. He says, when work calls, but you see the new horror movie podcast episode dropped and it shows, uh, you know, his car radio and, you know, in his vehicle and it's playing episode 151, Killing in the Name of Horror Movie Podcast. But from the image, and again, this is Shane the Maniac Cop, um, you can see that this is clearly a police vehicle patrol car <laughs> <laughs> where horror movie podcast is playing. So, um <laughs> When our good friend Pastor Matt sent us the video of him preaching on stage in his horror movie podcast teacher, oh I get a real kick out of the idea of a police officer driving around town listening to horror movie podcast where we're dead serious about horror movies. That's right. <laughs> wow. That, that just that makes my whole day. I like, yeah, I'm, oh my goodness. Yeah. So follow Shane the Maniac on Twitter. He's a good guy. And he actually, he Shane's cool to follow because he travels to a lot of horror movie locations. And so, quite often he'll post mm-hmm. uh, different horror movie locations that he visited. Yes. And yeah, that's fun. It's freaking it's really cool. cool. Yeah. Thanks so much for your support and thanks everybody for, for writing into us and um, supporting our show. I mean, we really, we really feel the love now um, coming up next. <laughs> we've, we've got some things we need to get down to. For example, Slender Man, right? We're going to be covering that uh, next time in our Frankensteinian yep. episode. And then we've been teasing and promising. I mean, you wouldn't believe how many weeks I've been saying over on Movie Podcast Weekly that we were going to cover the endless. So we'll get, <laughs> we'll get to the endless. Uh, and I know there are a lot more. I mean, I have a few more that I've been really trying to get to. And I bet you guys do too. So we're going to have a great Frankensteinian episode yeah. coming up. I feel good about it. Anything else? Anything else you guys want to... Um, say about the next episode or are we, is it time to put the sharks to bed? I mean, I think well, I'm sure we're going to do another um, collector's crypt. I just don't know. We'll have to decide what that one's going to be, but okay. forward to that. That sounds good. Okay. Well, I'll on, find some screaming online for you as well. Mm-hmm. On my Zencaster name here, I have J of the sharks. So <laughs> um, I don't know if that works as well, but anyways, so this is Jay of the Sounds Sharks. More like you're an overlord. That's a, <laughs> that's right. Okay, so Dave, um, speaking of things that people should not miss, oh my goodness, you have put like what six thousand movies for sale? <laughs> yeah, no, it's what what had happened was, um, you know, one of the things that had been brought up, I think it was Sal who had mentioned when I had gone over all of my uh, my woes with the uh, with the collection that um you know put some of them in in um like the cd holder books just sort of put the cases aside and put them in these books well i had done that for you know quite a few well i realized i had a lot of doubles in there and i had all of this stuff stored up in the attic you know like the the cases 
and the um, the inserts and everything were up in the attic uh, for these ones that I had in these books. So um, I made a deal with my wife. We went up there. We brought those down. But the deal was that they could never go back up there. So whatever I wasn't going to use was just going to get rid of them. So I ended up getting a whole lot more um, that uh, for sale. Uh, and uh, as an added bonus, uh, Wolfman Josh has uh, listed some of his collection uh, in there as well. And I have pointed out, um, you know, this is all on Letterboxd where it was, where it's been for, you know, a couple months now. Um, and Wolfman Josh has put, a, what do you say, about 50 of them, Josh, somewhere in that neighborhood? Yeah, I've probably got another 200 more as well eventually. But I just, yeah. my, my situation is I... I was kind of like uh, I had a mini DVD infatuation. I mean, I, I I had more DVDs than pretty much anyone I'd ever met, except for maybe one or two people until I got involved in this podcast community. And I met Dave and people like <laughs> Ian, Ian West and stuff. And I was like, OK, mm -hmm. well, I've, I've been dwarfed quickly. But um, but, you know, I've got a lot. And I and I my goal at one point was like, I just want to own every good movie ever made. <laughs> right. And so and and now as I was like we went out of the country. I put all my, a bunch of stuff in boxes and put it in the basement. And I was doing that too, Dave. I started, well, I decided I'm one, I'm only going to bring stuff up when I watch it. So every time I really wanted to watch something was on the shelf, I'd go down to the basement and get it. And then after, you know, it's been, I guess two years since we've been back from Columbia, I thought, you know, there's still three or four giant boxes full of DVDs downstairs that I've never brought up in two years do I really want those movies? And so I went down and looked at them and there are a lot of really good movies, but it's just stuff. I, I just know I'm never going to watch this again. And yeah. so even though I really like it and I have this fantasy of just being a film archivist, I just realized, you know, if I'm really never going to watch it again, why should I, why should I have it? So most of the ones that I posted this time are just doubles, but eventually I'm going to go through all those boxes and, and get rid of those as well. Just because, okay. You know, someone is going to be a major fan of a movie that I don't care about. Yeah, and there's some there's some good ones out there uh, mm -hmm. that that you listed. I, I've just thrown it out. You know, Cold Prey and Cold Prey Two, which we covered yeah. here, and oh, those, yeah. those are two really good movies. Yeah. Um, and again, the prices are um, we stuck with two dollars for DVD, three dollars for Blu-ray, um, a little bit more if it's a two DVD set. It's three dollars, or you know, two Blu-rays. It's four, and if it's a box set, there's a few of them out there, a little bit more. Um, but just to give you an idea of of the level of my obsession, I mean, I, it's almost like I wanted to own every movie. I don't know. Every every time yeah. somebody would mention a movie in passing on a podcast, <laughs> I would buy the damn thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but. Also, the great movies. I wanted to own this, and just to get this, get, this gives you a little bit of insight. One of the one of the items I'm selling is the Days of Heaven Criterion Blu-ray. Oh, nice. but but it is in a standard DVD case. What had happened was I bought this, you know, a few years ago when it came out. I had the DVD, you know, from before. It's one of my favorite movies. So I got the Criterion Blu-ray. I figure, okay, I'll upgrade this one. Yeah. Well, when I got it, the case came, and it's one of the very few times it was smashed to hell. I mean, the case <laughs> was no good. Mm -hmm. It was not salvageable. And I still, you know, the the disc itself was pristine, and it looked beautiful. I mean, it's one of the, one of, I think one of the best transfers 
I mean, Criterion does a great job all the time, but this thing just looks phenomenal on Blu-ray. So I said, okay, what I'll do is I'll take the DVD out of the case. I'll put it in one of those spindle things that I got from, you know, from when I had all the, the, the CDs and everything, and I'll put the Blu-ray in there. There you go. Now I've got a case for the Blu-ray and I have a Blu-ray. Well, that worked for about two days and then it just sat in my crawl that I didn't have <laughs> the right case for this Criterion Blu-ray. And months later, I said, screw it. I bought it again, and now I have the case, but now I have a Criterion Blu-ray in a DVD case. <laughs> so that's one of the things I have for sale. I tried to explain that in the notes. I hope I did a good enough job in the notes. But anyway, the, the total is with with Josh's and mine all together, it's six hundred and fifty that are listed out there. Oh my goodness. It's more than I had listed the first time. Um, it's a much more eclectic selection. It's I think it's a much better selection this time than I had um out there previously. So um, you know, it'll be in the show notes. Check it out. Anybody who had purchased before, you're going to probably want to check again because um, uh, there's more along the lines of what you purchased before out there now. Um, you know, again, these are things that I've rebuilt. Some things, I, like Josh said, I just looked and said, am I ever going to really watch this again? Uh, and I've done that with a few, but a lot of them are doubles for me also. And I'm just, every time with this recap, you know, this, this reorganization of mine, every time I go up there and I bring things, you know, I'm, I start reorganizing, I find five or six more that I have doubles. So I just, that's why the list just kept growing and growing and growing. But anyway, so that's it. So if you want to, you know, check it out and um, we'll, you know, start it up again. Um, I'm all up to date uh, with shipping now. I mean, even the, the newest orders I got in, they're packed and they're ready to go. So uh, nice. we'll just sort of start it fresh again. Can I just say this is not related to the sale, but just kind of as I was going through my doubles, just as a collector's crypt film fan with a DVD uh -huh. infatuation, it's so frustrating to me. I was like looking at the Halloween four Blu-ray and Halloween and I think Fargo and Pan's Labyrinth. This is a Pan's Labyrinth Criterion collection, and it doesn't have all of the same special features from the DVD. Even that just drives me nuts. Yeah, like, under, that that drives me crazy too. I, so, I don't understand that. So, so it's now like I've you want to keep the DVD. Ford, now I've got the Halloween four DVD and Blu-ray and right. Halloween five DVD and Blu-ray and it's like, geez, how many of these am I going to have at the end? I, you're right, and there's a special feature. Let me tell you one thing that I'm finding very frustrating as <laughs> I'm going through because one of the things I'm doing is. I am now, I have bought more of these cases, these, these CD storages, and I'm getting rid of many of my DVD, you know, cases I'm getting, I'm throwing, yeah. I'm getting rid of them. I've in the last, I'd say week and a half, I've thrown away about 2000. Oh, it's just been, it's just been trash bag after trash bag after trash bag of cases sell those on ebay or something man well i what i did was i kept a whole bunch of blank ones for blu-ray and dvd and i have them in a special place just in mm -hmm. case i decide to go back because sometimes i'm keeping like the like the inserts and everything for them yeah. putting them in these books because i have you know some of them you could have put the inserts in them as well um but one thing i'm finding very frustrating is the dvd case itself I can't tell you how many times over the past few weeks when I'm opening these up to take the disc out to put into one of these storage uh, storage um, binders 
that it's got the little clips on the side and I have to snap them open. You know, there's a whole <laughs> bunch of them that have those. I didn't take the damn security tape off the top. So I'm pulling it to try to tear that. Yeah. This has been, it's, it's gotten to the point with, I've, I've grown to dislike the DVD case. I almost got to the point. <laughs> I've, I strongly, strongly dislike it because of this past week and a half. And I almost wanted to get them together in a pile and just start hitting him with a hammer. I'm just because hoping. <laughs> I, want a, that, I want a separate blog to follow up DVD infatuation. There's just DVD case hatred. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Right. I was all, I was going to get my wife to join me too because I think yeah. she probably would have liked to taken a few shots at him as well. Oh yeah. Um, I've got some things I, to say about those old Warner Brothers cases with the with the cardboard this, instead of the yes, the cardboard <laughs> ones. Yes. Oh, I brought some of them down from the attic. Holy cow, those things bowed. They were like a half moon. <laughs> I mean, because of the heat and everything up there. I got pictures of some of these things. Like a few of them I'm trying to straighten out because I have the discs and I'm trying to sell them. But some of them, are they're beyond, they're beyond saving because the, those cardboard ones, those things warp. Oh, man, it, 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 it was almost funny. I mean, I was laughing at the way some of them looked when I brought those down from the attic. I said, well, that's the last time. I'm never going to put those up there again and, and expect them to come down in one piece. <laughs> that's awesome. Stupid Warner Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> so those will be, so for people who want to go shopping, which you yes. definitely should, these prices, screaming deals, this will be linked in the show notes for you in episode 153 of Horror Movie Podcast at horrormoviepodcast.com. You can find it there. It'll be linked and um, you can go shopping. Yep. Oh, one thing I did forget to mention, Jay, real quick, is um, there is a lot of indie horror that I'm offering in that for sale. I did list it as indie horror on there. I'd say there's probably about 60 or so titles. You know, I, I always talked about that big book that I had of all the indie movies. Well, I did put together some of them, and those are all for offering them for sale as well. I forgot to mention that earlier when we were discussing that. This is Jay of the Sharks wrapping up episode 153 of Horror Movie Podcast. We thank everybody who took the time to listen and support this show. Um, we hope you enjoyed it. And we want to thank our very special guest, the mad cytologist, um, for his contributions. It is so cool when we have someone with experience in, in yeah. the field, like just an expert type of opinion on things um, to, to contribute to the horror movie reviews because... You know, the thing is, and we don't like to talk about this at parties, but horror is in many ways real and it exists in the world. We we know it and see it all the time. And um, some of that is awfully regrettable and very sad. But other, other situations are just things that, oh my goodness, I can't believe that that actually exists. Or one of those people actually did that. You know what I mean? And, and so... I think in as much as we can, I mean, I feel like when we, when we said that like Shane, the maniac cop drives around listening to horror movie podcast, I just wonder, honestly, if I, if I had a, um, a career of that nature where I had to like, um, stop bad guys, you know, and bad girls and whoever, like, I, you know, I would want to be tuning in to, um, you know, some of the some of the darker sides of the world just so I could be ready for that. 
anyways deal with it yeah. yeah yeah that's how that's how i feel about it i mean really i do i mean i people ask me all the time I actually want to say shane is a legitimate hero like he mm-hmm. he was a first responder to like an a terrible terrible tragedy yes that happened in his area and they were able to apprehend the 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 villain in that situation and um i don't want to go too deep into it because uh, i don't want to necessarily reveal shane's whereabouts or anything like that but uh you know we're lucky there you know we we did we talked about police brutality i think on the last episode of horror movie podcast there are obviously some great people out there serving us and shane's one of them and uh, yes really appreciate his service yeah yep props and shout out and thanks for all you do shane all right so uh guys as we wrap up here let's uh tell the listeners where they can find more of us i just want you all to know that um i'm on a sister show to this and it's like um you know what like the total i have some people tell me it's the total opposite of horror movie podcast <laughs> and i think that's probably accurate it's it's a a train wreck of a show called movie podcast weekly we review the new stuff that's in theaters and that's all genres and um you know i hope you check it out it's um it's one guy taking it seriously and three other guys not taking it seriously <laughs> it's <laughs> and it's pretty it's pretty dumb but i hope you'll check it out at moviepodcastweekly.com and um <laughs> and i will say we do have um we do have i i alluded earlier that um there is a special episode coming out and um the, the first one is going to be free and it's for batman begins and that's going to come out in the i'm going to release it in the movie podcast weekly feed and william rowan jr and i that's aka kill bill kill we we discussed for three hours we discussed the themes of batman begins like strictly theme and it's insane and we're going to do that with the whole trilogy and um the the next two episodes will be in our patreon feed if you want to hear about the themes of the dark knight and the dark knight rises and um that's what i got what do you got wolfman josh well um I have a couple of things. We, you know, as I've been talking about for a very long time, we had a movie streamcast and um, Universal Monsters cast, and I put a call to our listeners for help, and nobody helped. <laughs> uh, a couple of people reached out, but I just was not smart enough to understand what they were saying. So I came up with a new plan. Uh, we're, so we're, we're going to do it a little bit differently. We're going to get basically get launched without uh getting our website up just so we can start posting the podcast again and then um we'll we'll eventually get the entire website uh, so both of those shows will be coming back soon uh, universal monsters cast is going to be coming with a really awesome special features episode is our next episode so that's for patrons only but um it'll be cool we're we're talking about uh the <laughs> Not Benicio del Toro. Help me out, guys. Uh, uh, Guillermo. Guillermo del Toro. Film The Shape of Water. Thank you. Jeez, that was bad. <laughs> and um, it's like Rex Reed over here. And then, uh, <laughs> and uh, then we also have an amazing interview with the last surviving Universal monster, where Joel heard a Q and A with him at a uh, monster meetup event. So yeah, amazing. That was That's awesome. Cool. Really cool. So that will be posting very soon in the special features feed for our patrons. Again, just two fifty, 
gets you access to all of those episodes and we really appreciate your support <laughs> yeah two dollars uh, fifty cents that's, yeah yeah that's it two dollars and a low low price <laughs> that's right <laughs> um also if you loved this uh episode with the Matsotologist like i did and you want to hear more awesome megalodon facts there are two really good articles that i found during my research one was at the ringer.com it's by megan schuster and the title of the article is An Enthusiastic Fact Check of All the Shark Activities in the Meg. The other one is over at IndieWire, and it's by David Schiffman, and it says IndieWire's shark expert takes a bite out of the Meg. We're going to need a better movie. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Dr. David Schiffman, who is the author of this article, he was actually a character who inspired, he was the guy who inspired a character in the Meg book series. So one of the characters mm-hmm. in the Meg series is based on him. So that's kind of exciting. Um, and I'll post links to both in the bottom of the show notes. Yeah. And just a real quick shout out to Josh here. Uh, I just want people to know this. For whatever reason, I was invited to be the the host, uh, the Jeff. What's his name? Jeff Probst, Jeff Probst <laughs> of a survivor themed party in Utah. They're really into theme parties. And we had a friend who spent um, like, I, I'm not sure why. But, but uh, she spent like $2,000 putting together this very extravagant uh, Survivor-themed party. And for whatever reason, um, she asked me to be the Jeff Probst, to be the host of it. <laughs> and so I, I wrote to Wolfman. For those who don't know, Wolfman Josh is a Survivor mega fan, super fan. And I, and I asked him Lord to... Lord of the Flies, guys. It's, it's, <laughs> it's survival horror. <laughs> and I asked him... I mean, this was one of the... Josh has done a lot of impressive things in the years that I've known him, and he's blown me away many times with his knowledge and expertise. But this probably takes the cake. I asked him, um, I just wanted a couple little catchphrases or something that Jeff Probst says. And um, Josh sent me this in-depth analysis and, and all this information, photos and things to, to help me <laughs> emulate... Jeff Probst and and I tell you what I followed that it was amazing (laughs) I I followed it and um, the people who were Survivor fans were really impressed and pleased and they thought that I was like one of you and I'm not (laughs) (laughs) I've only seen the the Guatemala season which I'm told by you Josh that's one of the worst but anyways but uh so thanks again for doing that Josh that was amazing okay Dr. Shock what do you got for plugs my name is always uh, DVDinfatuation.com uh, at DVDinfatuation on Twitter. I'm on Facebook and Instagram as well. Um, and of course, check out the, the DVD sale going on right now uh, over on Letterboxd. I have the list of uh, movies that are still available. And also, I'm on um, uh, several other podcasts, the um, Universal Monsters cast, which Josh had just mentioned. We did have a good time recording that, uh, that special features. So definitely join up, uh, you know, sign up for Patreon to hear that one. Also, the We Deal in Lead podcast and uh, another horror podcast, The Land of the Creeps with uh, Greg Amortis, uh, Haddonfield Hatchet and Jesse Robbins. And incidentally, Josh, one last thing um, just to throw at you. I never, ever, ever invite myself on other people's podcasts, but I'm just saying if you need somebody to help you review something on Movie Streamcasts, 
I would love it. I miss those days when we used to do that and do like a 20 minute episode on something that's streaming. And I, I doubt you and I could talk about a film for just 20 minutes or so. But but anyway, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm really going to get more serious about that runtime when I when we get back <laughs> into the swing of things here, because I started out, I was like, all right, I'm going to keep every m- episode at under 12 minutes. And pretty soon they were running an hour. And yeah, <laughs> well, that happened to William's movie moments podcast, which is one of my all time favorite movie podcasts. And I'm not kidding about that. It's amazing. Yeah. And, and, but honestly, I love it. I'm so happy that that thing is blown out to like 50 minutes now, because when I see that it's long, I'm like so excited. So yeah. anyway, that's a great show too. But anyways, and Dave, as soon as we jump off here, I'm going to be checking out your, uh, you and Josh, I'm going to check out your, your inventory. Nice. All right. <laughs> Uh, one last shout out. This is super random, but if you like those Meg novels by Steve Alton, but you've read them all, check out my buddy's book. It looks terrible if you look it up on Amazon, <laughs> but it's actually a fun read. It's by William Neal, and the and it's got a terrible title too. The film is called or the book is called Rogue Justice, and it's got the worst cover you'll ever see. But it's it, it really is an enjoyable read, and it's very similar to this idea of a prehistoric megalodon. But in this case, it's like this giant orca in the Pacific Northwest, and only like the native tribe in that area is aware of of the existence of this creature. And it's really kind of cool. Like it's a unique setting and everything. <laughs> Follows like a homicide detective, and I really I really enjoy. Um, I guess the only time I could do an orca book. <laughs> <laughs> the only time you could read an orca book. So that's Rogue Justice book, and that's on Amazon, right? Yeah, by William Neal. That's right. Bill Neal. You know, my uh, first uh, pacemaker doctor's name was uh, Bill Neal. William Neal. Really? So, yeah, so I wonder, mm-hmm. is your this friend... Is the same guy. This guy produced... Uh, 115 episodes of E True Hollywood Story, though. Oh, that's impressive. So that's that's close to being a life saving surgeon. Yeah, yeah, Pr- pretty right. good, pretty good. <laughs> okay. Well, we love your comments, and we hope you'll get involved in the horror movie podcast community. You can leave us a comment in the show notes for episode 153, and that's at um, horrormoviepodcast.com. You can also email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com, and we do have a voicemail. It's 801-382-8789. You can find all our episodes, including the weekly horror movie podcast and Horror Metropolis at our website, horrormoviepodcast.com. You can subscribe free in iTunes and follow us on Twitter at HorrorMovieCast. And that's the same for Instagram, I believe. I want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com. We also want to thank Kagan Breitenbach for his classical reworking of Fred's original theme. You can find more of Kagan's work at kaganbreitenbach.com, and we'll have those linked in the show notes for this episode. And that's it for episode 153, so we thank you for listening, and join us again Friday after next for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies.